boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm my number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you. Boy. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of wolves and of children. What's in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara. One by one, we will take you. Never get out of bed again! You gotta be fucking kidding. Rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> Happy Halloween, horror fans! It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. The only podcast where the end is always the beginning. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. We hope to see you in the live chat. This week, we are covering select horror films released October 29th through through November 4th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight is the esteemed Eugene. What's up, everybody? Yes, yes, I know. It is not technically Halloween. It's like technically we're recording this on the 25th, but it goes live on the like the 20, what is it, the 29th. And then two days after that, obviously, is Halloween. But you know, we, we want to get it in there because, you know, happy Halloween to all of you who celebrate Halloween. We hope you have an amazing holiday. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I plan on having a lot of fun. Do you have plans for Halloween? Oh, actually, I'm looking for plans for Halloween. So I'm hoping oh. if, uh, if a certain party or something like that. Oh, my camera. <laughs> <laughs> I touched it. But um, so looking for definitely some type of a party or something like go to because you got to celebrate Halloween. Fuck yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Halloween, always the best. Always the best holiday in the best month in the year. It, you know, here at Week in, Week in Horror, every day is Halloween. You know, every day in my office is Halloween. You can obviously tell. But uh, but yeah, it is, you know, just it is just absolutely the best. So we hope all of you are gonna have an amazing Halloween. Speaking of all of you out there, let's get up that amazing Patreon banner. Those those Boom. amazing people who help us to make this show possible. Other names trolling down there. If you'd like your name in the banner, check out our Patreon. You know, we'd love to have you aboard and you get all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff and extra content. So we hope you dig it. But uh, before we dive into a bunch of stuff that we've got tonight, let me go through the live chat real quick and say hi. Make sure that we see everybody here. Raven Darkstar was here first. Good to see you, Raven. Thanks so much for being here. Who is also a member of the Army of the Dead. Yes, you too can support uh, the podcast with channel memberships right here on YouTube. You get access to the channel badge and, of course, all of the amazing emojis that we have made for you. So we appreciate that. All that support is like 99 cents a month. And uh, it's amazing. So thank you all very, very much. And of course, more channel members means more emojis coming down. Uh, coming down. So we hope you all dig that. And thank you, Raven Darkstar, for being here. Travis Brown as well says, Evening, y'all. Counting down the days till Halloween with watching The Fall of the House of Usher. Fuck yes. Amazing series. Have you seen it yet? Have you had a chance? No, I know you're busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy writing a movie right now. <laughs> yes, that's true. But yes, Fall of the House of Usher. Once you get the opportunity, Mike Flanagan. Oh, dude, new news. Okay, this is fucking cool. So apparently Mike Flanagan is returning back to the King universe. And his next his next project is going to be an adaptation of um, The Life of Chuck. So, which is a book by Stephen King. And so 
We, we the next thing we have for Mike Flanagan is a return to the to the Stephen King universe in uh, his Life of Chuck adaptation. Not many, not many details are out yet, but that's his next one on the book. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, let me see. Oh, Travis Bessie, he's also already watched to uh, miss the Talk to Me Discord watch party. Yep, we watched Talk to Me over in the Discord, and I had I had a free moment, so I was like, you know what? I yeah, we're going to show a movie. So try to you know have some fun over there. And that's a, that's a good little film. That, yeah, or a good little film, a good little film. That's a good little one. You know, it's Blumhouse. You know, Australian, but yeah, you know, and and you know, I love Australian horror. They typically you know they don't pull any punches, and I really enjoyed the cinematography and the story and the narrative in that one. Excellent acting across the board. So. Really, really enjoyable. Good, good, creepy popcorn flick. It really, really was. Ah, uh, who else? Yeah, definitely. Who else we got here? Who else we got here? Casey Cooper's in the house. Good to see Casey Cooper's as well, Matt. Thanks so much for being here. Robert Bider as well says, good afternoon, everyone. More windstorms in the district. No power at home. Not So not sure how long I'll be here for. Well, we're glad that you're here now, Robert. Thanks so much for hanging out. We do appreciate it. And we got also, I see... Oh, uh, a lot of conversation going on. Some betting about you know how late we were going to be starting the show, um, depending upon who was going to be on it. Um, got a nice little betting pool going on there. That's very good. Rodent No Less Names here says, Welcome to Week in Horror, where the movies might be terrible, but the hosts never are. Thank you so much, Rodent. We do appreciate that. Gabba Gabba to you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Sarcasm uh, says, Good evening, Wendy guys, Wendy gals, and Wendy NB pals. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, I see what you did there. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Casey Cooper says, as JL says in the closing to his birds divide vids, treat each other nice. Absolutely. That's what Halloween is all about. That's what it's all about. Doesn't matter who comes to your door, whether they're ugly or scary or beautiful or whatever, or odd or zany. We they all come to your door. We welcome them with open arms. We give them nice things and then we send them on their way. And that's the way it should always be. It's it's just simply the way it should always be. You know that why can't we live every day like that? Every day should be Halloween. It really should. If I want to dress up as a knight right and wear a suit of armor i should be able to do that every day if you're going to dress up as a knight in full plate and clank your way up to my door you're getting full-size snickers bars that's the oh, way it's absolutely. gonna happen yeah you earned it you've earned it king-size <laughs> snickers bars you're getting them oh let me see here who else we got in the chat tonight um i see oh there there was that betting there and um as well as i gotta scroll through it aaron reese is holding down the chat good to see you aaron uh, one of our amazing hosts. Hope to have you back on the show. I know things have been busy, but we can't wait to get you back up here. And yes, uh, uh, you know, he's talking about a previous video I released um, on my personal channel. Apparently, I I attacked the joke list like it was a Chinese buffet. I did. It was, I tried to make it as funny as possible. Uh, let me see. Who else? Tesla Radio's here. It says, good evening, everyone. Glad to be earlier this time. Good to see you, Tesla. Thanks so much for being here tonight. As well as Cindy Johnson says, good evening, all. Good to see you, Cindy. Sir Chasm, thank you so much for the generous gifting of five memberships to the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, Sir Chasm. Appreciate that. Welcome all the new members. Enjoy those emojis that you now have unlocked. Angel Rivera is hanging out. Good to see you. Good evening, ghouls and gals. Thanks so much for being here, Angel. Appreciate you hanging out. And I see as well, Denova28 says, hey, everyone. Good to see you, Denova. You rock. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. As well as Historical Philosophers. Says, hello, Weekend Horror. Good to see you, HP. Wonderful to have you in the chat. And yep, Aaron Reese says it's always Halloween here, motherfuckers. It is always <laughs> Halloween here, my friends. Absolutely, it is. I see as well. Oh, there's Eugene uh, letting everybody know he's here. And I see as well. That's it. I think I got everybody. Excellent. We got everyone. We got through it. 
You know, it's a bad habit. No, I don't think it's a bad habit. I think it's a good habit to say hi to everybody. But if we had actually had like, you know, a thousand people in the chat, that would that would be really, it's a bad habit. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll try to maintain it as long as I can to try to say hi to everybody. No, no, we would just talk about one movie per podcast. That's all we had time for. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Just say hello to everyone, then one movie, and then we're done. And then we're good to go. Oh, Sarcasm says, I also use the gifted memberships to expose the lurkers. Ah, I see. Uh, I see That's how you doing. do it. <laughs> Aaron Ree says, the journey to Mount Warren to fetch the unhallowed bag of Snickers. Absolutely. That's that's the journey. You got to put some effort in. You got to put, put some effort in, but the effort is worth it. You know, my house is like the holy fucking grail because I go all out. I know I recognize the effort that goes into Halloween, pulling off a really excellent costume. If you're lazy and you just put like a bag on your head, you're going to get some fun size. But if you put the effort in, you know, if, if like a full, like full on predator walks up to my door, like the monster predator walks up to my door, <laughs> shut up, get your minds out of the gutter. But if like, you know, if I, you know, full on, you know, like alien walks up to my door, then hell yeah, you're, you're getting like king size Kit Kats, man. That's what it's about. Maybe, oh, if you, maybe the king size and then the fun size is for the little mouth. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, Ivy Gentry's here. It says, good to see you. It says, I was ninth. I'm here, but some, but my connection is worse than some of these movies. These movies were not terrible. Huh? You, you, you blasphemy. We got four good movies tonight. Four good movies in the chambers tonight. Travis Brown says, I prefer Reese's and Butterfingers if jail serves them. I, though, sorry. Well, Butterfingers, yes, I give those. Butterfingers, Almond Joy, Mounds, Snickers, Kit Kat, Whoppers, all the classical, all the, the usual stuff. Um, uh, Goobers, uh, Milk Duds, stuff like that. The Reese's are mine. I'm sorry. Peanut butter and chocolate. I'm sorry. The Reese's pieces, peanut butter cups. You know, it's mine. It's totally mine. Not to mention Butterfingers, they changed their recipe. Uh, I think it was like a couple of years ago when a, another company bought them over, and they've never been the same. Never been the same. No. Never been the same. Good to see you, Charlie Welch. Always good to have you in the chat, Welchie. The only man on the internet never make a bet with. Good to see you, bud. Appreciate you being here tonight. Sir Cab says, Bad Moon was terrible. Fight me. I will, sir. I will die on this motherfucking hill. There is no TP, uh, there is no TP 9000 tonight because we don't fucking need it. We don't need the TP 9000 because these movies were all fucking Do good. We? You, you, you don't even, <laughs> don't even play with me. Don't we'll even see. play with me. We, we will see. We got, we got practical effects. We got good classic monsters. We've got unique, interesting monsters. We've got good narratives. I like it. This is what we're going to do. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see when we get to it. <laughs> Aaron Reese says, we should make some distinctions among bag masks. If it's a paper grocery bag, mini size, Creepy burlap bag gets full size. Plastic grocery bag gets CPR. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, great! Oh, oh, Rave Doctor says BS Splinter was okay. We got some hate, but we got uh, lots of love on this side. But we really got some hate in the live chat. Before we get started, before we dive in, the first thing I want to talk about, I want to bring up, was we had a fantastic. Uh, sit down in discussion with uh, writer, director, producer Alex Watson on the Weekend Horror Front Row. So if you are a member of the Patreon, you will get early access to that interview with uh, Alex Watson. It's a fantastic discussion uh, where we talked all about his career, you know, how he got into it, his inspirations, and of course, his, his most re his first movie. This guy has done it. Like, we're talking, he came up in the industry doing like, you know, editing work and a variety of other things, and then finally got to the point where he could make his first feature film. He wrote it during the pandemic. And then finally got the opportunity to fund it and shoot it. He funded it via crowd uh, crowdfunding, via Kickstarter. He talks all about that process. So if you've ever been interested in stuff like that, definitely check that out. But of course, the biggest thing is 
He got his first movie funded and shot, and it's called Bundy Manor. Bundy Manor is available currently right now on Tubi and Plex, so you can definitely go and check that out. It is bad. It is it is really really an entertaining flick with uh more subtext than you would think for kind of a splatterific movie. So definitely go and check that out. It's called Bundy Manor if you get the opportunity. And then of course he clued me into another film, which was by a friend of his. So and said you know like check this one out because this is the one. Oh, oh, okay, so yeah. So let's talk. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. My bad. I'm mixing my stories up. I'm mixing my stories up. So first thing was Alex Watson, Bundy Manor wanted to do that. That's the first thing. The second thing was I met a friend, which is really, really wild via Discord, okay, who contacted me on Discord, is familiar with the show, okay, and he is, is kind of like trepidation. Like he didn't really want to like, he was like, you know, I don't really find other like, you know, people who work in the industry on Discord. It's like not really the place for like, you know, networking. Not the place you typically find them. Well, we got into this huge long chat when he felt, you know, like about the about the podcast, all kinds of stuff. Well, apparently, he let us know that he is working. He's kind of a new friend of the show. He let us know that he is currently on the road doing promotion for a latest film that he was in. Oh. And he sent me the link to it. it was, he sent me the I oh, I you sent me the IMDB, sent me the trailer and everything. And I watched this. I was like, we have to show this. So currently, this movie is not released. It is currently making the festival rounds. It recently just cleaned up at the Joe Bob Briggs, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, Joe Bob Briggs um, uh, festival. So it cleaned up there. So, but this is not available yet. So we don't. I don't know when the official release date will be to streaming or wherever. But I give you the trailer for Cannibal Comedian, uh, Cannibal Comedian, which is directed by Sean Hates and written by Sean Hates and Stephen Ward. Here is the trailer for Cannibal Comedian. Let's cue up the terror tube. I hope you all dig this one. I thought it was, I thought it was good. So yeah, I, that's why I want to show it to y'all. Yes. So that was the trailer for Cannibal Comedian. And uh, where I think a premise that could kind of come off is kind of like, you, you hear that title, you're kind of like, huh? But then I saw the trailer was like, wow, the, the dual tones of this film. I had to, cause it was like, oh wow. It's kind of like, it looks kind of, no, it's, it's, intense like intense you know like the practical effects look really good what do you think you know what i'm actually i'm pretty interested um i've been watching a lot of like director directorial debut films lately mm -hmm. um because that way that's what we've been kind of leaning towards so i've been watching a lot of people and i think this, this is going to go right up the alley this could be a really fun movie uh this is definitely something that would be really interesting to check out because it could be something that it can be cheesy, but they lay into the cheesiness in right. a good way. Um, and the fact that being a first, like being a first time um, feature lead, the director, I'm kind of serious. I'm kind of curious to where he put the budget in because he right. only have so much money. So did he put it into practical effects? Maybe put it into location, maybe put it into uh, this or that. So I'm kind of curious to see how it comes out. Definitely, definitely. And I see, oh, Operation Prey Rule is here. Good to see you. It says, hey, it's Eugene. What's up? And good day to you as well, JL. Thank you so much, Operation Free World. Appreciate that. What's up, Operation Free World? And uh, Travis Bros. what a drag when he ate a drag queen. Yes, there, there's some really, really good moments on that one. Um, Raven Doctor says, okay, not sure on this one. It's a bit unweird. And Dead Nova 28 says it looks good, at least uh, in a kind of, in, yeah, and Rodinella's name says at least it's an original premise. And so, yes, Casey Cooper, I did eat it up. I did. It was, 
because it starts off in a kind of a direction, but then when it takes that tonal shift, when you re- when you realize this guy's legit, like he legit, he is a freaking like you know, you know homicidal cannibal. Um, I had to die. I was like, oh damn. So I love how I love the setup. The trailer was really good. I hope the trailer didn't spoil all the great moments of the film. I don't think it did because I think there's a lot more that's being hinted at. I can't wait, especially like you know the dynamic between the cop that obviously knows what he is, but obviously he's not arresting him or shooting him. So. I'm really curious as to how it's going to play out both narratively and on, you know, and from a visual perspective. And of course, what Eugene said, you know, where, where the money went, just like where he put that to that budget. Um, and Sean hates has uh, previously, he directed, as you saw in the trailer, he directed big top evil, which came out in 2019 and uh, cannibal comedian, which is coming out either. So probably sometime in 2024, but he also previously directed mangrove slasher Two, which you wouldn't think, being a sequel like this, you wouldn't think me like, you know, like a huge, like a huge thing is kind of like a throwaway name, but actually is like really, really highly rated. So like the, like the, the response to the critical response to it has been really positive as far as the slasher film goes. So, but yeah, you can definitely check that out. We'll have more information on cannibal comedian when it comes out, but let us know down in the comments below, judging by the trailer, are you excited to see cannibal comedian? Cause I am, I certainly am. And definitely let us know what you think of Bundy Manor. Because Alex Watson, you know, he did it. He did it. He like he broke through and he made his first feature film, Bundy Manor, which is essentially kind of like an extreme haunt, you know, horror film. But I don't want to spoil anything for you. So go in, check that movie out. Let us know in the comments below what you think of it. It's free on Tubi and Plex. Go and check those out. And Raven Dark says, of course, I'll watch it once. Yeah, uh, once to give it a chance. Hell fucking yeah. You yeah, always give it a chance. Absolutely. Travis Brown's the film is when Lenny Bruce became a cannibal. Pretty much like what if it's like a what if film? What if Lenny Bruce ate people? <laughs> uh, Joshua Lee, good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. All right. So I think it is time to get into our fucking amazing selections tonight. Because they are fucking amazing. I think they are at least. Okay. So. And anyway, Eugene, take us away. Yeah, what do we got up first? So first we got Door in the Woods, which was released October 29th, 2019. Roll it. All right. That is Door in the Woods, directed by Billy Chase Goforth, starring Jennifer Pierce Mathis, David Reese Snell, and C.J. Jones, along with John Michael Fisher. And basically what it is, is you have a family that goes on a hike and they find a door that is chained up in the middle of the woods. And of course, what do they do? They decide to bring the door home and install it into their house. <laughs> and shit gets real. You know, the, the fr- okay, you know, the, the freestanding door, like, you know, you find like the freestanding door in the middle of the woods, like in the middle of a clearing, like there's a clearing, there's like this freestanding door and then it's like all chained up and, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, let, let, let's, was, wow, this, this door looks fantastic. Let's bring it home. It's like, do we do we want to you know i i admit it's a the uh the premise is intriguing you know but it makes sense from a narrative perspective it makes sense one thing i will say about door in the woods is that it was far more fascinating than i initially that the premise you know i think leads up the film is far deeper than you would expect which i really really enjoyed about the perspective one going in i was kind of like huh so they find a door in the woods. They bring it. Obviously, this is not a good thing, especially when you see the door and it's all freaking chained up. And she was like, obviously, don't unchain the door. You know, the freestanding door in the middle of nowhere. 
you know, I got, uh, I got, you know, memories from that movie with stare, like the stairs in the woods, you know, because that was based off a of creepypasta. But it was essentially kind of, but the way, the direction it took, I was not expecting. I want to give some particular, uh, a particular shout out to the performance of C.J. Jones in this one because he was as Uriah, as Uriah the psychic, he was fucking phenomenal. Okay, I just I loved the character. And everything about it, just everything about him was just fantastic. And what this was what was really cool. Not only the attention to detail in CJ's character and in, in the character of Uriah, but the, de- the attention to detail that the filmmakers paid in all of the little things going around. Like, for example, this is really interesting. I was watching the movie and my wife and Angela came in and she's pretty knowledgeable about things like, you know, tarot and various stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. she was watching it. She was watching the like the tarot reading that takes place at the beginning of the film. She was watching that. She's like, oh, oh. And she saw the way the car- we know, which cards were reversed, which cards are facing her when she's getting her reading. And she read that. And the, the like, if you know tarot, if you know that detail, if you know that little detail, the cards actually foreshadow the events that are going to be taking place. Anyway, although they never explain that. They never explain that specifically in the film, in the dialogue. But if you know what you're reading, if you know what you're looking at, it actually kind of foreshadows the film and you can understand why Uriah kind of hedged his bets a little bit in describing what the cards were saying. You know, I really enjoyed it. was little details like that in throughout the entire film that I thought really made that made it work. And it's why I enjoyed it so much. I was like, Oh fucking hell. Like the writer and the director really knew what they were trying to convey in this one. And were very knowledgeable about the story they were trying to tell. And, you know, they, they were just like, oh, tarot card. Oh, blah, 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 blah. No, they wanted it to really follow. And that was an important thing that stuck out to me and really solidified this one as, as just a, a solid little kind of gem that you wouldn't expect from something as simple as the door in the woods. You know, actually, I really enjoyed this one too. And the reason why I enjoyed this is because this right here is a textbook directorial debut Indie, indie film. Um, so the director, uh, Billy Billy Chase Goforth, this is his first feature film. He's directed mm-hmm. a couple of videos and some couple of short films. He only has really four credits on IMDb under directing. He has some other for acting as well. But right here, this is how you make a first film. Because the biggest thing about when it comes with making your first film is you obviously have limited budgets. You're not going to have the million dollar film. And at no point did it come across as this is a million dollar film. No. Look at it. It feels like a film that you probably could make for 150 to 200,000. Right. And, but the way the reason it works is it doesn't feel like it's limited by budget because you'll notice most of the scenes take place in the house. Then you have the school and then you have a couple of things like on the street and then out in the woods and woods are super cheap to film. What is the main, what is the, yeah. What is the main thing you're after? You find a door in the woods, the door itself is probably cheap. You don't really have (laughs) that door. Look, that door door was like, That door's gonna work. Just, 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 just grab the thing off the pile and just let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a door. <laughs> you know, they stole it and they probably filmed in at some Airbnb or maybe or somebody's they knows house or everything. They install the door and even like the kind of the creepy moments where you see the girl. Well, it's just a girl. You don't see her face very much. Kind of tattered dress. And then when you have the ceremony, well, it's not really ceremony, but when they're talking to spirits at the end, it doesn't really go overboard special effects wise. So, but 
what it does is it tells an intriguing story. They never reveal their budget. And what I mean by reveal their budget is when you see something like, oh, you obviously could not afford that. So it's like they knew what resources they had, and then they kept it to the point where it just made sense. And that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. Like, this is a good textbook first film that's something that can get you in the door for something a little bit bigger, something a little bit bigger, something a little bit bigger, until you films. So I definitely enjoyed it. Definitely, definitely. I think it, it, I think with the, the the charm in this one is in its simplicity is that it never tries to overreach and and do more. They they allow the film to show rather than tell. They don't get bogged down in exposition. They allow the actors to actually convey the internalization of this traumatic experience when their son disappears, the unveiling of information as they find out the history of the door. You know, I just everything just flows together extremely well. This was an excellent an excellent example of a director with a good solid vision, a writer who knows what they're doing. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, um yeah, that Billy Chase Goforth knew exactly what he was writing. He had a, 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 an explicit vision for what he wanted to convey, and he knew exactly what he needed as far as actors go. Excellent casting, fantastic location choices, and the move from like you know to having one environment that is deliberately it's cozy and warming. That's the house. You have the environment of what's going on at the school and the individuals associated there, and of course the other environments that he, the, the atmospheric area of the woods, how the woods can change from both you know, from both night and both day, not to mention some really excellent cinematography. I loved the pra the practical effects were fantastic. Okay. They, I mean, that's where it's at. I love that they went practical in this. They didn't, you know, bog down with a bunch of like silly CGI animation. <clears throat> There's that one moment when, when Uriah is doing like the hand deal like that. And then bam, it like hits it. And then the lights change. As they're as they're descending through the uh, descending through the levels that they have to get to to get to this dark entity, and I love there were little tiny little details, and and Angela picked it up. You know, when we were watching, it was like it was so cool because every time there was a moment when they're sitting around the table and they're doing the seance, they're doing the rituals, is that the ambient light would change, but we'd never see the ambient light change. But he told us that the light will signify as we move deeper and deeper. It. And so the ambient light, the uh, um, Goforth allowed the ambient light to adjust, like like the ambient light of the scene to adjust to let us know that we were moving without re realizing that we're not moving. We're still sitting at a table. And so whenever the light was, and, and the choice of costuming reflects that. If you look at what everybody is wearing in the scene, everything reacts interestingly to the new lights, to the, the purple light or the green light or the orange light. And as each one changes, we get a different vibe as we get deeper and deeper and deeper. And I love that. I, I just love little things like that. Not to mention Uriah's costuming was fantastic because it didn't look, it didn't have the feel of like an art department that just cobbled something together out of pictures they saw in a book. It legitimately came off like a costume that someone had put together themselves, like a genuine practitioner of hoodoo had literally over, over like decades of doing this craft had had put this together specifically for very intent for very specific purposes. As Angela indicated, everything in that costume and everything in what he's wearing means something. From the hat itself to the band around the hat to the necklace he's wearing to like you know the various uh, things that are attached to his jacket, all of it has intentionality. That is smart filmmaking. Even if your audience doesn't grasp it. It gives you the opportunity, if they're curious, to go in and start looking into it and recognize that these guys, that this, that Goforth really knew what he wanted to say, really knew what he was doing. 
And I love that the the final, like the entity, that this is, this is what really got me, is really curious, that while they meet this kind of Greek goddess, this like Greek goddess of like, you know, that feeds on human beings, it's, you know, well-known. Um, I think, I can't remember her name, starts with an E. Is it, the name escapes me for a moment. But they meet her as the gatekeeper, and then they go on to meet like the final, but they never name it. It's just this thing that's there. And then, of course, the wonderful moral conundrum at the end. Oh well, yeah, it's like don't no spoil the ending. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil the ending on this one. But the just the 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 way, where it weaves them into it is just so wonderfully, you know, poignant. I almost felt like watching like classic like Friday the Thirteenth or like Twilight Zone shit, which I really really dug. Yes, so smartly written. Really. Oh yeah, that. this is the they definitely stick to in they stick to landing on the ending on this one. Yeah. Um. It, I I like the way it goes because it's not the super happy ending, but you can understand why someone will do what they did and that's always a great ending because then it's always like the moral that has that moral dilemma at the very end should you shouldn't you not have what happens from then on out um and it's kind of like the good guys kind of lose a little bit and the bad guys kind of win a little bit so it's it was definitely something that was well written so i definitely <laughs> I enjoyed well written i enjoyed the performance this is just it's a type of film that if you are a budgeting filmmaker i will definitely check it out because so many people they like to watch the early works of the super big name directors but they're not watching current works of upcoming people their first and second films today because this isn't necessarily a movie that made a huge splash in 2019 and it is not going to it's not right. going to be the and the thing is is not every directorial debut is going to be the witch hereditary because for every one of those you're going to get 20 or 30 that are the door in the woods hmm. and it's or not like, or, that, like, or like or like evil dead like they like alvarez is evil dead how he kind of like went from the short to all of a sudden evil dead and he was just like what the fuck so right yeah and so it's a um so you get you're obviously going to get more of these type of films that you should be on the lookout for because this could lead to another big project to another big project. And the next, you know, he may be directing something for Blumhouse or a 24 or something like that down the line. And he can go back and go, yeah, that, that was a good foundation. I can yes. see uh, where he came from. We said we knew him when, and Sir Kasim, thank you so much. The name of that character was in when the name of the entity was in Thank you very much. Which was important. Cause I was like, I had me, that was like in Why do I know that name? And then I went back and looked up. I was like, oh, we're getting really, really deep into it. I don't want to spoil anything in the end. I really, really don't. Um, but we do have a question for you coming up. But I first, I want to say hi to Coda Pup. Thanks so much for being here. Says, hello. Good to see you, Coda Pup. As well as some werewolf is here. Good to see you, bud. Says, what's up? And Sally Skellington says, hey, everyone. And uh, with some emojis there. Thank you so much, Sally. Thank you so much for hanging out. Appreciate that. And enjoy the emojis that we made for you as well. The custom emojis, all the horror icons we made. So you, Operation Fredwell says, Eugene is so stoic and still at times that you can't tell if his camera is frozen or not. He's an attentive conversation. He's an attentive conversationalist or a statue. Whichever one, you know, I just kind of like accept it. Just little from column A, little from column B, you know. But I definitely, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It is an absolute gem. And, you know, you can check it out. It's on streaming right now. Um, definitely give it an opportunity. Really, really strong acting. Uh, people might uh, recognize um, David Reese Snell from his. From, he's been in a number of things. Predominantly, uh, people might recognize him from The Shield. He was on The Shield with uh, Michael Chiklis. He was on that one for several seasons. Um, but uh, but C.J. Jones, he captured for me what could have been a goofy throwaway character, a goofy kind of like cookie cutter of your psychic. You know, 
he brought, I haven't felt like that by watching a character like this since Zelda Rubenstein in Poltergeist. Because Zelda Rubenstein in her, with that short stature and that squeaky little voice and those big ass, you know, 80s glasses. And she comes in there like a goddamn boss and lays the shit down in that house. And I was like, yes, yes, Zelda Rubenstein, you fucking rule. I haven't had a feeling like that as far as, as far as character development goes since that. And CJ really knocked it out of the park. I loved everything he brought to this role. It was just fantastic. So really, 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 really fun stuff. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I hope everybody gets an opportunity to check it out. Yeah, I mean, ab absolutely. And I actually, I want to ask the audience, who was the dark entity? I have Be my own theories because they never, so they never dive super into it. And honestly, I think that's the right move to make, especially for this budget level, because they don't have insidious money where you can actually go into like the spirit world realm for it. Um, so you only, you only really get it from CJ Jones as they're going to do in the seance as they're kind of progressing for through each level, but they leave it ambiguous. And like I said, that's a, that was the right call on it let people think so who was the dark entity you see i'm see i have my own theories and i don't want to spoil anybody i don't want to like anchor anybody in any particular ideas but there are hints within the script that that kind of like lead in a particular direction so i have some i have some thoughts as to who that dark entity might have been even though they never name him which was which is great i thought it was fantastic because now i'm sitting here fucking thinking about it you know it's trying to piece together in my mind well where did they hint at? Like who who could it possibly have been? I don't like I, but I don't know. But I have I have thoughts. If you've seen the movie, you have the opportunity to watch Door in the Woods. We want to hear. I want to know who do you think the dark entity was? Okay, but definitely leave us know. Leave, let us know down in the comments below or weekendordergmail.com who you think that final entity was, the one they made the bargain with. Let me know. I'm very curious what you guys think. Okay. And Raven Doctor says, rule number one, never take home anything creepy from the woods ever. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Never agreed. take home. I mean, especially, it's a free it's a freestanding door. Like the lady was like, I buried it. And then I came out again. It was just standing there like, man, you just leave it alone. You see, it was funny because Angela asked me, Angela asked me, like, what would you do in the situation? It was like, what if I were, you know, if we were like found a door and we, I, you actually got me to install the door in the house and we found like the freestanding door in the woods. And then the minute creepy things start happening, and, and then we have that moment where they, where she comes up and says, just get rid of it. Can you just take the door out and get rid of it? And he was just like, uh, why? We went through all this trouble to do it. Now you're feeling creepy. Now you want me to get rid of it? And it was like, yeah, yeah, just, just, I'm not feeling it. Can you just go ahead and get rid of the door? And he's like, ah, I'm tired. I'll do it tomorrow. Fuck no. If my wife says, I don't care. Like, I don't believe the supernatural. But if we find the door, the freestanding door in the woods with chains around it, bring the thing home, install it in the house, all of a sudden creepy things start happening. If that starts going down, kids having nightmares, sleepwalking when they normally don't. And you say, you know, can you just get rid of the door? I'm getting rid of the door. I, okay? I'm just saying there are different signs. Like they painted it and then the paint burnt off the door. Yeah, the paint like melted off the door. And it's like, <laughs> ah, I don't need here. another like a more convincing or the, the part where they're like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of the door this weekend. And it's like. No, no, I no, no, we're taking now. Oh, but I have to be at work early in the morning. No, I'll I'll be late, or I will or I will call in sick. I'm taking the I'm either taking the Wonder Bar 
or the sledge, and he wrote, you know, it's like that boat where he has to, he did the whole fucking I, yeah, I like that little, I like that little detail where they put it back in the woods. You see the door frame. The fucking frame just had to hammer the shit clean out of the wall. <laughs> I would do that. I will do that. As well as can you get ready? You got it, honey. Blap, 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 blap. No, there we go. Because I'm, I work in construction. I have the tools. I can fix it. I can repair it. Not a problem. We'll just get rid of the door. Get the jigsaw out. Brrr, and just cut the damn thing out of the wall and be done with it. And go to Lowe's and get yourself a nice little French, uh, a nice little like a little French door. That would work just fine. But yeah, definitely check this out. Definitely let us know down in the comments below who you think the dark entity was at the end of the movie. I'm very curious what people think. All um, right. What do we got next? All right. For our next film. God, I've been, I have been waiting to talk about this one for so long because I fucking love this movie. I mean, we, we, we talked about it before we, when we heard about it. We were like, yes, give us more. We want it. We're going to talk about Antlers, which released October 29th, 2021. Talk about a movie in time for Halloween. You know? Oh, yeah. Fucking amazing. Here we go. And yes, I know this one's a fairly recent one. We won't try to I'll try to do our best not to spoil anything. We have the five-year moratorium. But let's check out the Terror Tube for the trailer. All right. I've I forgot uh -huh. how good that trailer is. Right? <laughs> that's like, it's nice. It gives you, it captures the feel of the film without giving too much away. It, it literally is a, per, a perfect trailer because you get, you, obviously there is this sense of something going on. No fucking clue what it, and obviously there's something really gross happening, you know, with the, you know, all the little details, but it never says implicitly what is happening, which I fucking love when i, I first saw that, that I, I when i first saw that just because of, of kind of like the, the the extensive knowledge that i have of all things horror and i was like i think i know what kind of movie this is but i'm not sure but i can't confirm that just by what the trailer goes but that was the trailer for antlers directed by scott cooper and uh produced by guillermo del toro david s da guillermo del toro and david s goyer and j miles dale and of course, a uh, screenplay written by C. Henry Chasen, Nick Antosca, and Scott Cooper, and starring starring Carrie Russell, who's been on a horror kick lately, which I fucking love. Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, Jeremy T. Thomas, Graham Greene, Scott Hayes, Rory Cochran, and Amy Madigan. Excellent cast of character actors and a number of little plus. I you know, fucking love Graham Greene. Everything he pops in, he's just fucking amazing. So the story follows. Um, this the the son of or basically you know a seven year old Aiden who is uh, or sorry sorry yeah, follows uh, Lucas follows twelve year old Lucas as he is obviously going to great lengths to try and care for whatever's happening to his family to his father and to his brother and um, the slow and uh, the slow kind of like descent into melancholy that is noticed by his teacher played by Kara Russell. And eventually, you know, when uh, it is uncovered what is happening in uh, Lucas's house, obviously shit gets extraordinarily real, gets very, very real as uh, these, what is, you know, the horrible things that are happening in this one. Um, uh, so for those who don't know, for those who don't know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here that yes, and it, Joshua Lee just mentioned it. Yes, absolutely. So I don't think I'm spoiling on this one that the film is a Wendigo film. So it's a Wendigo film. We've talked about it before. It was a Wendigo film uh, produced by David, uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro, which I absolutely had to fucking see. Now, like the beautiful thing in this one, and what I thought was best done, it was two was two major things. The reason why the film does so extraordinarily well is one is del Toro's attention to detail when it comes to environments. Del Toro is always extremely good 
at setting the stage for his characters to play in and his and Scott Cooper um has an excellent history of doing this as well the, the those combined talents made sure that every single moment within the film conveys the advancing storyline as the weather changes as the textures of the environment change and as the overall color as they as every like the kind of like overall color the feel of that plays into the emotions of what's happening as everyone is going on their character arcs and you love it the, the film opens with just you know, it's it, you know they're up there in the pacific northwest up there in washington and you know it's raining all the time and it's desolate and you get this and then you get into the concepts of like the roadkill that he's finding and you know the the state of uh, lucas's body and the state of lucas's mind and you get the in the environment at all, the, like the condition of the school he's in, you know, the the general attitude of the students that are there, the condition of the homes that are there, because we're in a it's in a dying town. Death, decay, and despair pervade every every like facet of the entire film. There's an underlying sensation of decay and rot, which plays through everything. And the brightly you have like Carrie Russell and Jesse and her brother Jesse Plemons. You have a number of individuals who are literally trying to do everything they possibly can to kind of stave off the growing kind of like despair and darkness of the populace. But everybody's in this kind of like mood, and it's just draw like everything like the energy itself is being drawn out of everything. Slightly where the colors are slight, even the colors themselves are slightly muted, where everything is brought down, and it's because of what is happening in this because the failure of the local mining uh, company has left you know, hundreds of people destitute, no money to be had. Everybody's scrounging the best they can to take care of their families. Many have resorted to drugs and, you know, to either manufacturing or selling, you know, manufacturing and selling drugs. It's absolutely just, just dismal. And it, and it hits hard. It hit me personally, because there are areas of this nation that are under that effect right now. You drive around, depending upon what state you're in, but does I don't I think it applies to every single state. Some states are worse off than others, but you get a real world, a very real world sense of what's going on, an understanding of, of problems that we see every single day. Now, it doesn't indicate that these problems have supernatural causes or that there are supernatural entities that kind of feed off of this, feed off that desperation and that that hunger for something more, but it lends itself to the folk tale that's being told here, you know, which Graham Greene comes in and just delivers it like just amazing. It's like, wow. It's like at this point in the relationship between Native Americans and, and you know, and uh, and whites, you know, you know, at this point, he's just kind of like, you know, you're gonna, you guys are going to get it eventually. Like eventually you're going to fucking see it. It's like, you know, then all of a sudden you get faced with the things that we talk about all the time. And you, you expect me to be surprised? Like, you now you're surprised? We've been telling you about the shit all the time. So I love the different characters. They're so well-developed and so well-fleshed uh, well out. Not to mention the arc itself. And, of course, Del Toro's monster, you know, the monster effects. The monster effects in, in, in Antlers are absolutely stunning. That's what I really, really love. I love the fact that there, while there was some CGI, it is used sparingly. And the vast majority of what we saw, what we saw in focus was practical effects. Even the final battle scene, uh, many of those, many of the close-up shots were all practical effects. Some of the larger shots were CGI, but with the creative use of light and shadow, we can diminish that so that the CGI doesn't take away from the practical effects that we're working on. And not to mention, you know, that absolutely incredible kind of cliffhanger ending we get, which I'm not going to spoil for anybody, but we get that kind of cliffhanger ending towards the end. And so if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. That kind of leaves you wanting more. It is a an absolutely sublime. I think uh, uh, it's an Oregon. My bad. My bad. Oregon. 
So my bad. But regular Jeff says, yeah, Washington State closed mining sounds like a city near me. Absolutely. And or the the story did did uh, did take place in Oregon. My bad. So, but yeah, it's an absolute perfect setting for the film. As Travis Brown indicates, it's a perfect setting for the film. It lends itself to the mythology of the creature itself and the just the unending hunger of what it, uh, trying to, the unending desire to try and achieve what it cannot achieve, to try and satiate itself. And it can't be done because it's simply the state that it's in. And that's why I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I know a lot of people enjoyed it when we showed it over in the Discord. So this is one of the movies we watched in the Discord, um, which I thought, which everybody reacted really, really positively to it. You know, the acting alone is solid. Carrie Russell, Jerry, uh, Jesse Plemons, and everybody involved in this was just fantastic. So this just goes to show, Antlers is what's is an excellent example of how atmosphere allows you to show, not tell. And that atmosphere is also important for the actors themselves who are on location when they're shooting up there to be able to take a kind of like, take inspiration from and how that informs their performances and how tragedy and uh, how tragic, you know, tragic events kind of follow along with us and trail behind us, no matter how far we go, because Kara Russell has her own demons that are following her behind. And Jesse Plemons is her brother uh, played by Jesse Plemons has the, he has to deal with the fallout of that in this small community where everybody knows everybody. And then of course the idea of a child in distress and children being forced to grow up too fast and deal with the shit that their parents leave behind. There is so much commentary and subtext within this just to tell this folk story about ostensibly what is the sins of the father revisited upon the son, which I really, really enjoyed. Enjoyed every aspect of the story as it was being told. Tony Regime says, so many communities have plunged into poverty with mines closed and industry moved to counties with lax labor laws and no unions. Absolutely. You know, it's difficult. That was the thing that, that I think got me the most was it was not only a fantastically done monster story, but as an allegory for because the Wendigo itself makes for a fantastic allegory for ostensibly humans themselves, you know, or you could say in the idea of kind of like the unsafe, like the unsafe uh, or the, the insatiable human drive for something else or the human desire or the hunger for something else. And I love that that concept that it is the crossing the line into what you cannot have. And it, you know, it works as a metaphor for, for virtually anything. You get that one big thing, you know, and then all of a sudden you can never get enough of it. It could be addiction, which drugs obviously plays a factor into this. It could be money, which also plays a factor. It could be, you know, villa being vilified for trying to do the right thing and then having to overcome the kind of like the uh, the court of personal opinion against you. There's all kinds of play, all kinds of things that play into this, and mental illness as well. So if there's something. Sir Gavin says, "Geez, jail. If you hated that much, just say so." Uh yeah. So and <laughs> I get you, Sir Gavin. An absolutely astounding film. Well done. Didn't didn't spoil anything in the trailer, and really gives you sense. Not to mention the creature effects. The attention to detail played into that. Once you get a good look at this thing that's in this, I don't want to spoil it. Once you get into like 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 the details, like how this thing, like what it looks like, and the little fine details on it, I don't want to spoil anything. It is really and truly horrific. It's really fucking you know gnarly. So fantastic. Plus, I love the depiction. I haven't. I don't think there's been a depiction of this creature like that in film since 2000, since the 2001 film Wendigo by Larry Fessenden which <clears throat> conveyed it very similarly, but more with more bones. Essentially, it was kind of like a bone entity. But I saw the similarities between those two. 
but rarely have anyone. You have movies like you know Ravenous, which is kind of a spirit. You got Pet Cemetery, which essentially is a pervading. It's an it's an infiltrating spirit. <clears throat> then you have like don't, don't say its name, where the entity is ostensibly invisible, and so it acts like a spirit, but it's actually just an invisible entity that's running around killing people. So I like the kind of classic motif, willing to go back to that true folk to the true folklore of what this monster looks like from the uh, from the ancient Algon from the uh, from the old Algonquin tales. Uh, from where it uh, kind of disseminated. So really, really enjoyed this one. Sir Kazmast, is there such a thing as a reverse turd polisher? Absolutely. I, we should make that. Like, you know, the reverse turd polisher. It comes out, it's even, you know, like whatever. But yeah, third, I thoroughly love this one. But there's a big thing that I was kind of curious. And I wanted to ask the audience about this one. You know, unless Eugene is about to come back, I'm not sure. He had to take a call. That's why Jean, Eugene had to step away for a moment. He had, uh, I guess he got a, an important phone call. You never know. It could be good news. It could be interesting news. I'm not sure. But I know he's uh, he's crack-a-lacking on something. Let me see here. I'll make sure I admit I didn't miss anybody before we get to that. Sir Chasm says, dark, creepy, atmospheric, slow burn, but well worth the time. Great, well-developed characters and excellent cinematography to boot. Absolutely loved it. The tension was palpable throughout. Awesome. There isn't a fault in this film that I can find. Not a fault at all. And I'm not going to lay it all at, at uh, Guillermo del Toro's feet. I'm not going to lay it all at his feet. Um, obviously, he was a driving force of this, but Scott Cooper, who people remember, Scott Cooper directed, uh, he wrote and directed Crazy Heart, um, uh, Black Mass, uh, Hostels, and Out of the Furnace. Like, Scott Cooper knows what the fuck he's doing. That is an established talent right there as far as storytelling and cinematography and knowing what to shoot and how to shoot it. So, an incredibly talented director a excellent with his input as a writer as well fantastic writing because then you've got like the talents of nick and tosca who uh wrote um the act oh that's over on netflix right now brand new cherry flavor which is fantastic just a, a fucking like you know what's the word for that um hunter s thompson gonzo a fucking gonzo horror story if you haven't seen brand new cherry flavor so supreme talents behind this film not to mention Guillermo del Toro David S fucking David S Goyer you know from the Batman films um and usually it works heavily with DC and of course you know all these talents come together to create a magnificent film I didn't want to go on before you had a chance because I pretty much ran stuff down but <laughs> but I tried I tried to fill the fill the fill the void there but now you're back so now you can give your take like you know what'd you pull from this man so this is this is excellent storytelling excellent pacing I love the atmosphere I love the cinematography the stark contrast in the lighting that is used here which sets up this very it's shot very similar to like the ring um a almost that kind of color palette stark contrast feel to it very atmospheric and i think it's like really really loved it because it just sells that and i like i like the basically stuff with where you're dealing with the windigo the effects were amazing but i like how the effects weren't over the top i love the 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 special effects makeup on when they're finding the bodies like yes a lot of times when you see the bodies, bodies, they're like, oh, there's some blood and a little. No, this is like these bodies are ripped the fuck up. Like, that's why yeah, that's why the, and the cops are like, what the fuck was this? A bear? Yeah. Like, like this a bear. Like, like this time of year. It's like, no. Like, what but, are you doing? It's like, but it's like, but it has to be. Look at this. Like, look at this. Like, look at <laughs> a person cannot do this. Look at it. And I mean, this is easily one of the best horror films that's come out in the last couple of years um 
Like, it's just, it's incredible. I've always been a fan of Carrie Russell for a very long time. Um, she definitely. Eugene's a big, Eugene's a big Felicity fan. Oh, yeah. Big, big I, Felicity fan. <laughs> I'm just saying, when she moved to the big city for that one guy. <laughs> I fucking loved her. I, I fucking love her in The Americans. She was like, that show is, a, if you have not seen The Americans, it's not a horror deal. It's, it's like a, it's kind of like a true crime. Yeah, it's an kind espionage of like, show. Yeah, espionage show. That, that show is fucking brilliant. I loved her in The Americans. She's so good. Uh, yeah, I mean we so and we just started watching uh the Americans. So nice. like yeah, it's, it's definitely a show I'm really excited about. And I mean it's just it's just something we we talk about so many movies and so many movies, so many horror movies come out every single year and it's not very often where you get one that's come out recently that you know is going to stand the test of time. Right. That you know is a bit, and the production maybe affected a little bit because of just COVID. I think they kind of hurt it a little bit coming out in 2021. Right. The theaters weren't really back yet. Um, so a lot of movies kind of flew under the radar or they didn't really know what to do. Or they had to keep pushing back and so forth and so forth. And I think Antlers was a, it was affected by that. That's why I believe it didn't have as big as a release as like Smile or Talk to Me has recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's definitely on. Honestly, it Antlers to me is a better movie than Talk to Me and Smile. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, by by leaps and bounds. I think so, I think what might have played into that was when you look at it, given given the the general ambient tone of the film itself, just like the tone overall. I mean, look at the trailer itself. And I was discussing, I was tell, talking to, I was talking to the live chat about this earlier. But just in case you didn't hear it, it's like if you look at the tone of that, like the the opening of it, it's raining. Okay, it's raining. The skies are gray. It's dismal. The colors are are somewhat muted. Like the energy's being drained out of everything. There's this underlying sense of despair and decay and rot that just permeates every facet of the film just to just to it just to reflect the state of the town and what's happening to the denizens there it's not because of the supernatural entity it's because of the failure of the mining company that was there and now everybody's out of a fucking job and everybody's desperate to try and just get food you know and feed their families and it's just the place is just falling apart and you got these people just try hanging on by a bare thread you've got that desperation there that sense of like almost melancholy the melancholic hopelessness coming out of the pandemic that mood kind of permeated the vast majority of the country. So looking at a film that has like that kind of like lack of energy, that despondency, people were kind of like, uh, I think that also kind of like pushed people away from yeah. checking out immediately. Cause kind of like, it was like watching a movie that reflected how we feel right now when really audiences just needed to kind of break away from that, which is why a frenetic movie like smile you know, where the energy, where the energy is high because there's like a fucking, ah, oh, demon, ah, oh, you know, all over the place of people, you know, doing that shit or something like talk to me kind of hits a little bit different just because of the higher energy. We needed that kind of uplift, well, you know, also, from our you, horror. So you think like in terms of the time shift, I was watching this interview with a couple of Hollywood producers around the time of the pandemic. And they said that they have found that things that are more dreary or that can remind people of the pandemic were weren't doing well and people were looking more for escapism right and well fantasy started fantasy was doing very well um there's things that didn't remind people of the what was going on in the world at the time and because antlers has that dreary hopelessness of that time it just it was just a timing like if that movie came out in 2018 
then oh, it could have been the biggest movie. Or maybe if it came out two or three years later, uh, even like you know, 2025, 2027, it would probably do much better. Is and that's something as a filmmaker you can't predict right. at all. You're you're just trying to make the best movie as you can. And sometimes just outside factors like a pandemic or something like that can just affect the performance of film. And you just kind of take it as it goes. But the thing is, is a movie like Antlers is something that's going to stand the test of time. So this this film may be take a few more years to really hit the spot in the horror community where it kind of finds its footing. Right. But I think enough word of mouth on it is going to come out where eventually it's going to be one of those like it's going to be one of those those cult films. Oh, absolutely. Come out. Oh, yeah. yeah like, like, for example, like Donnie Darko. I strongly recommend. Yeah, I strongly would recommend that anybody who has not seen it definitely definitely check it out. Um, I own it myself, so we could probably we could probably watch it again in the Discord. But definitely get this. This Antlers is one of those films, one of those kind of like underrated films. And unfortunately, you know, the timing was off. It was originally set to be like a 2020 or like April 2020 release, but then was you know like delayed twice before that could finally get a chance to come out. And that just when a movie gets delayed like that, that those delays. You know, the the once we're all hyped up, we see the trailer, we're hyped up. We see the second trailer, we're even more hyped. Then all of a sudden, delay. What the hell? Then delay. And yes, it was it was because of the pandemic, but you know, delays can happen for a number of reasons. Sometimes delays occur because we need to go back and do reshoots. That's not what happened here. It was because of the stupid freaking pandemic, kind of like the Wendigo sucked the energy, sucked the momentum out of this film, which sucks. But it should be, I think, in my opinion, I'll just put this out there. It belongs in everybody's personal collection. I, you know, everybody's got their personal collection of horror of films, especially the ones they keep in physical media. This belongs in that. Yeah, I, I, in, absolutely. Yeah. It, it really does. It belongs in the personal collection. And what's the thing that sucks is when you talk about like films getting pushed back. What happens is you because your film loses momentum because it's like okay, cool, boom, the brand new announcement, we new film, new trailer, people get hyped up about it. And oh man, all right, it's supposed to release at two or three months. We're waiting for it. And then it's like it gets pushed back. And then okay, well, now you gotta cut a new trailer. And all right, well, we got a new trailer and it's got pushed back, but we're still doing it. And then it gets pushed back again. And it gets to the point where no matter how many new trailers, how many new the film's not new anymore. And no press. No press whatsoever. Nobody talking about the movie. No one talking about it. No. When I saw the trailer, when I saw the trailer first drop, I was like, holy shit, yes. But that even I, when the movie finally dropped, I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Antlers. Fuck, man. I'd I'd forgotten about it. Exactly. What the shit? And I was like, so I immediately had to go and buy it. And I was like, because I I was like, I'm gonna buy this movie when it comes out. I'm gonna go see it. Never went to theaters. I was kind of like, son of a bitch. And finally it dropped. I was like, oh, that's right. Gotta get that one. I was like, that's what hurt, you know? And that, and the thing is, it's like, because I forgot about the film. I know we talked yeah, about it. I'm coming in the podcast. <laughs> we talked about it because there's so yeah. much content that comes out and everybody's waiting for the next big movie. So even if something you're really excited about and all of a sudden two or three, four other, you start hearing announcements of those movies start coming out and eventually it just gets falling off to the wayside, yeah. unfortunately. So, I mean, that is by all means, that's not the film's fault. At all. I mean, they couldn't have made it a better film. So it's unfortunate that stuff like this happens. But I highly, highly recommend checking that out because there's not, I mean, we have movies that come out every year. We have good movies that come out every year, but a movie of this caliber does not come out every year. So definitely check it out. 
I also want to say hi to Left-Handed Jedi is here. Good to see you, Left-Handed Jedi, and NANA as well. Thanks so much for hanging out, guys. Good to see you. Um, Ivy Gentry, if I forgot, and Tony Regime, good to see you both. If I forgot to say hi, I totally have space, but um, good to see you both. And, of course, uh, Sarcasm says, I would love to see it with you, JL, fanboy commentary session. I could definitely fanboy commentary on Antlers, but you'd be, I think we'd be better off to fanboy commentary on Mandy because I could not, I, I cannot shut up about that movie. I will peel every layer of that fucking onion. I will, because that movie is just miles, miles deep. But, you know, fanboy commentary is always fun. That actually, that should be a YouTube channel. Fanboy commentary. I was thinking about that, too, because I I do. I like I love watching reaction videos for people watching movies because we've seen so many movies, especially you get one of your favorite movies. and You've seen it like. 30 40 times you know every the entire film mm. and i like watching reactions because it's like watching it for the first time and you're waiting for certain parts we're like oh right ooh, you want to see the how reveal? they yes. i want to see how they react and they're like okay i'm not gonna lie i actually i i never really watch reaction videos because i've watched the movie myself so i know but one popped up that I was actually really curious on, and it was this this girl, and I don't remember her name because I just recently came across her channel. She got yeah, it was a fairly fairly big channel, and she was watching. Uh, she and her friend were watching Terminator Two for the first time, uh, and Terminator Two is yeah. Terminator Two is one of those ones that is kind of you know pointed. It was kind of because I hit that because even I was like oh just thumbs up oh I cried. So I was curious. These two, these two girls were watching this. They're watching Terminator 2 for the first time. I was like, okay, I'll bite the bullet. I got to check out and see how they react at specific moments in the film. Did the exact same thing. And yeah, it was like the, oh, yeah, when the thumb comes up. She's like, oh, no, yeah. I just love seeing that. And then I turned around and watched uh, her reaction to watching Terminator the first time. Just as good. Just as fantastic. I love that. So I, I kind of like. I'm now I'm now at the precipice of watching reaction movie people watching movies for the first time because it's fairly it's fairly fascinating, um, but uh, but fanboy commentary watching the movie and then you know the commentary you lay onto it like peeling that onion on Mandy would be a lot of fun really would that really would be a lot of fun. Denova twenty eight says I watched one where this couple watched Jeepers Creepers it was hilarious that actually depending upon which one you know it would be, be really funny. Josh Lee says I just bought Color Out of Space two probably watched on Halloween. Fuck yes, sir. Excellent movie. Yep, yep. Sir Cab says, I'll go down the Mandy rabbit hole with you. Fuck yes. (laughs) Yes, we will. That is a deep rabbit hole, and it goes on for days. Regular Jeff says, well, you didn't steer me wrong on Mad God and Mandy, both of which I bought. I might buy this one, too. I will never steer you wrong, sir. Ever. I'm not saying you have to buy them all. Well, if you want to, go for it. You know what? Support the filmmakers. Support the filmmakers, yes. Yeah. But I will do everything in my power to never steer you wrong. I don't care what Johnny O says. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what Johnny O says. I will I will never steer you wrong. And Mad God and Mandy, both fucking fantastic. All right, but the question, ooh, Willie's Wonderland. You know, Jim Willie's Wonderland. No, uh, that movie is so funny. <laughs> surprisingly, so it's kind of like, holy shit, it fucking works. I we don't need Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage is like Pootie Tang. He don't need to speak. He just need to show up and just be just just to be Nicolas Cage. You know, you have to you, with Nicolas Cage. You have to play into his style of acting. He's yes. not great for every role or every film, but films like Willy Wonderland that can exploit it, perfect, perfect. So the question that I want to ask the audience: there aren't that many out there, but 
What do you think is the best Wendigo horror? There have been a few. We've named a few of them here. But what do you think has been the best Wendigo horror film? There are a few out there, some that we haven't named. But if you know of one, definitely let us know in the comments below or, of course, at WeekendHorrorGmail.com or here in the live chat. Uh, which one do you think has been the best Wendigo horror? You know, going back to like the 2001 Wendigo film, which we talked about on this uh, on this show, uh, the you know that one by Larry Festenden was that with Patricia Clarkson, and that was surprisingly good. And then you've got like you know Pet Cemetery, Ravenous, but yeah, there's a number of them out there. Let us know what you think has been the best Wendigo horror. What do you think is the best one, Eugene, so far? Oh man, you know honestly. I may have to put this one up there. I really, I, I enjoyed every aspect of this film. I love the shot selection. I love the pacing, the editing, the sound design. Uh, what they did with the Wendigo creatures was phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm willing to say antlers. Antlers? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I will say antlers is definitely up there. I love this. Rodanella's name says, The Shining, Wendigo. <laughs> But um, <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Wrote it, wrote it. I was saying that was that was that was that was funny. That was cute. That was very cute. Um, of the ones that I have, the ones that I've seen, I'm going to give. Well, I will give Antlers is likely my number two. Is is my is a very very close number two because there is still a very very special place in my heart for Ravenous. Ah, oh, you know? yeah, Rav- Ravenous is good though. I still a special place in my heart for Ravenous because Guy Pierce and everybody that was in that film is just fucking off the hook. It is just middle of, you know, it's like a bunch of soldiers, middle of fucking nowhere. Chaos happens, you know, it's like, I fucking just the, 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 the production, the production value, the, the atmosphere, the fucking story that was going on. You know, David Arquette is like the the unhinged devil weed smoking, you know, fucking idiot, uh, you know, idiot uh, fucking private. You know, just a fucking <laughs> love it. There was the perfect blend of comedy and absolute horror in that one. And, you know, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, let me see. Sarcasm brings up Ravenous without any hesitation. Yeah, Ravenous. Awesome. And then uh, Casey Cooper brought up Dark Was the Night. Unfortunately, Dark Was the Night was not a Wendigo horror film, but it was an eco horror about logging about extensive about um, excessive logging in the area that accidentally um, woke up or basically kind of lo- where loggers had gone into the area of this unknown species and kind of awakened them and they started attacking the town. So it's kind of an eco horror where these mo- where these like monsters, these undiscovered monsters descend upon the town. Um, so not really a Wendigo film, uh, but uh, really loved that one. And I got to say, and I ta- I'd say a number three for me would be um, Don't Say Its Name. Because not so much because, you know, there was a, the, the, the entity that was a Wendigo. But the thing that it got me about that one was how wonderfully it broke down the relationships between uh, Native Americans and whites in the modern age. You know, how we have the relationship that we have. said the kind of like there's almost a Cold War there. And how it's cold because it's up there in the north, huh? But anyway, there's, <laughs> there's kind of a Cold War there. And then you have individuals in on both sides. Try either trying to help or trying to take advantage of that. You have Native Americans basically selling out their own for their own opportunities, just like the whites. You have whites kind of inserting themselves into the situation to try and help, even though their help is not asked for, nor is it often desired. So you've got this constant battle of cultures, and it placed that at the forefront of the film while telling a Wendigo story. 
which I thought was just wonderful. I thought it was wonderfully done for it was a brilliant little Canadian film that a lot of people didn't get to check out. But don't say his name is not a good number three, but Ravenous is always gonna be my number one. But definitely let us know down in the comments below or we can gmail.com what you think has been the best Wendigo horror film. Rodan LS Dave says Wendigo versus Robo Bigfoot, which is not a real oh. film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when if we get the money, should we shoot, should we make Wendigo versus Robo Bigfoot? They'll be totally down. We'll get Rod Rod No Last Name credit. <laughs> we'll, we will credit. We'll go story by Rodan No Last Name. That's what it came up right here in the in the podcast. Strange like seven ninety. Thank you so much. Has been a member of the Army of the Dead for three months. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate that support. Please enjoy all those emojis and everything. Love seeing uh, love seeing you guys in there. And regular Jeff says I better go make a drink before the next two. Yes. Yeah. I don't care what he says. These next two films are still fucking great. Maybe it's because I have a love for practical effects and whatnot, but nonetheless, and Annie, thanks so much for the generous gifting of one week in horror membership. So thank you so much. Appreciate that uh, generosity. Um, Rodan Los Angeles says, I will contribute to the script. You you did. Wendigo yeah. versus Robo Bigfoot. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Where did Robo Bigfoot come from? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> okay. Army experiment designed to take out Wendigo. I fucking love it. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's, it's literally yeah. Wendigo's up there killing motherfuckers, and the army decided that the Canadian ah Canadians they decide to take care of it, and so they develop Robo Bigfoot to go out there and battle the Wendigo. You know, I, I fucking love it. But then know? they and lose they, control of Robo Bigfoot. They lose control of of Robo Bigfoot, <laughs> and then Robo Bigfoot goes in a rampage, and then Robo Bigfoot rampage meets Wendigo's rampage, and the two of them collide, and whoever wins, we lose. Yes. Yes, I'm going to steal that from Alien vs. Predator. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm straight up fucking stealing that. <laughs> oh, fucking great. Oh, that was, I'm just, now my, my mind is just swimming with just the fight scene between Robo Bigfoot. What actors will we get to play these things? They've got to be huge. Yeah, let's just get two mammoth looking motherfuckers to put on some monster suits and just kaiju the shit oh, in the fucking come woods. Come on, Danny Trejo. <laughs> One of them right there. Danny <laughs> Trejo's got to be in the movie. <laughs> oh, we, he so would be in this movie. He so he would be. He's got to. He's got to oh, be he like. He's got to be like the like the old hunter that's brought out of retirement, you know, to like come out and he's got to like lead and, and he's the one who's meant to lead the the humans that are bringing out the Robo Bigfoot and he's got. Oh, it's gonna be fucking great. And of course, he has to <laughs> it, it would be epic. It would. It would be fucking epic. This I can't believe this. The this thing is. Blossom, like yes, yes, sarcasm. Live brainstorm, brainstorm session. Oh, I fucking love it! Absolutely. Oh, Robert Biter says power out. I think some roof iron just flew past. We'll have to go. Well, be safe, Robert Biter. Please be safe. Yes, be safe. Yes, Rodanella says it's basically AVP meets RoboCop three. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. dig it. I fucking love it. I'm sold. Let's fund it. Let's fund this motherfucker. All right, bud. Let's get on to our next one. What do we got up next, dude? This is a Halloween Next, release. It is a Halloween. On Halloween Day, we have Splinter that was released Halloween 2008. Roll it. So that was Splinter, which we have directed by Toby Wilkins, starring Jill Wagner, Paul Costanzo, Shio. Wingham, Rachel Curves, Lauren Whitseth, and Charles Baker. 
And basically what it is, is you have a couple that is going on a retreat. They end up running into some hijackers and they end up at a gas station and they have to fight off a horde of parasitic creatures. <laughs> okay. the, way you, the, the way you ended that, the tone you ended that, that we, we were all we were like, really? Really? Parasitic creatures. That, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. That, that pretty much it. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that, that pretty much sums it up. It absolutely does. Yeah, this one, I, I'm i going to stand by my 2008 and how I feel about 2008 films. Oh, no, I, you, I, you, I, no, you, you talk about same. They do. They look the same. <laughs> and it's bad. <laughs> Yeah, wait, wait, this, wait, hang on a second. Hang does, on wait, a wait, second. Wait, wait, wait. Does this film have great practical effects? Sure. I will give it credit for that. Um, clearly, it's uh, budgetary-wise, it's a little bit on the lower end budget, but it's, you know, you have a gas station, they're trapped in this gas station, and that all has all fine. It makes sense. But there's just something about the look and feel of films shot around this time, most of them, not all of them, that it just did not age well. I maybe I might have enjoyed it a little better if I watched it at the time. Uh, I was in the military. I didn't really see any films at all in 08 because I was too busy training. So I, this is something more I've watched recently. But it's just the style has not aged well. <laughs> okay, so like, okay, so like Sir Catherine says, another choice magnet release. I was never actually scared, but the acting was great and the action was intense. A very nice little creature feature. Absolutely. The one thing that I dug about about this one, and while yeah, Raven Archer says, Eugene, just say it was dumb. It wasn't dumb. It's not dumb. Raven Archer says, dumb, 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 dumb. No, no. I disagree with you, young lady. Okay? And for these very reasons. One, you hesitated. No. The movie <laughs> is, okay, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Number one, the writing was really, really solid because – I like actors or I like characters that make smart decisions, that do smart things. And one thing that I cannot stand from a narrative perspective are actors or like characters who run around and constant consistently do dumb shit. Even if it's a meta film where meta people should be even smarter because ostensibly they are aware that they are in a horror film or in a horror situation. But then they do dumb stuff. Then I'm then I'm even more detached because like you fucking you yourself said you were in a horror film yet you did this dumb thing that resulted in your death. Why would you do that? So, but I like characters that make smart things that do, that do smart things to actually think about the situation. They don't panic and they try to actually you know, recognize what's going on and find a solution. I whenever when uh, when I first watched this film back in '09 when I first came first came across it and then I watched it again. Still to this day, you know as you. I get I get I get the thing vibes from this one, and that's predominantly because while it is a smaller cast and it has this monster that kind of takes over your body and destroys it and it like you know kind of like consumes you from the inside out, while it's not an intelligent thing, I like the idea that the that the lead actor in this film, and while while it's definitely ah it's horrifying, don't get touched by the monster. When he's safe and he has the opportunity, he is not prone to freaking out. Whereas the girlfriend. Is kind of like is kind of like the tough and it's kind of like you know she's strong as well. Not to mention the hijacker that's with him as well is pretty hardcore himself. When it comes down to it, he's not prone to give into his emotions and is the reason why they're able why he's kind of able to bring the group together and come up with solutions to finally get out of there. Trying to come up with these things and then he also inspires the other actors to all the other characters to also think outside the box. Okay, to actually like try. Okay, hang on a sec. 
Let's not freak out because we, we we freak out and run around. It's going to be like Apollo 13. We're not going to go bouncing off the walls, just wind up right back where we are and waste all this time. We have to figure out what's going on. I like that aspect. That's a good aspect. Number two, the practical effects were fantastic. I love the concept of this, of this monster that isn't really explained as to why it exists, what it's the result of, or what's happening. Once again, because not important. Not important. The only hint we get is when they're driving down the road to the campsite, which, by the way, this was filmed in Oklahoma. So, like, I think, like, just slightly north of Oklahoma City, which I kind of dug. So, trying to run down this deal, trying to run down, just running this road, and they pass by this, they're driving by this fence, this chain link fence, that there is some sort of experimental oil extraction thing going on with this company out in the middle of nowhere. Well, we have areas in Oklahoma that are like that, where they do stuff and they have these, these, these areas that are owned by oil companies. Obviously, there's some sort of relationship there, but we have no idea what the fuck it is. And so this thing comes out and has invaded. I love that opening. I love the opening sequence because fucking Charlie Baker from uh, Breaking Bad, he was Skinny Pete in Breaking Bad. So he pops up in the very, he opens with him getting like, you know, ah, attacked by this fucking thing that comes out of the woods. I fucking love that. But then... As it progresses, we have fantastic characters, well-written characters. We have an excellent, excellent established monster. Some really gory, nasty effects, especially when it starts like grabbing things biomass and drawing it into itself. Like, oh, make the, the amalgamation monster. I fucking love that body horror shit. <laughs> fantastic stuff. All the uh, they, the oh, flare, yes, ferrofluids, and I loved that they utilized ferrofluids for some of the effects, which I thought was very was was really inventive, especially in two thousand eight. To get the kind of like the 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 uh, weird uh, rhythm effect to some of the uh, the liquid pooling, which I thought was really really neat. So I thought good practical effects, smart characters, well written, good story, you know. And not to mention the whole sequence with the thing his his arm is infected, and the shit is like that that was gnarly as fuck. Oh, that, that got looked, me. That looked cool. Like the, uh, the I was effects. like oh, I was like what the fuck, man. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> The effects are really cool. When you have like the hand that's walking. Oh, the three the have, fingers thing? Like, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> like the, the I had no issues with the facts. And the thing is, is you're right when it comes with stupid characters. When uh, when you have these stupid characters that they freak out, to me it's the most annoying thing because it's like, oh, we're well, gonna die because you're stupid. Versus when you have the smart character. I love horror films that I see a situation, I'm like, oh, man, this is what I would do. And then the character does that. And then the character gets smoked. And you're like, oh. Oh, I'm not, this I'm not is... As smart. I'm, not, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> okay, all right. Let's, all right, now this is... Because at that point, then it becomes a real threat. Right. And that's, and that's where you get, like, you, now it's a threat. Now I'm invested because I feel like this is something that can attach me. <laughs> Raven Darkstar says, "Vroom, vroom, vroom!" Just revving that polisher. There's no polisher here. We the polisher's in there. We put the polisher back in the tool shed for this episode because we don't fucking need it. We don't need the polisher for this for this one. <laughs> and thank you so much, and Andy, for gifting another membership to the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, bud. We appreciate that generosity. Rock you, rock. And Sir Cap says, "A hot chick with a broken high heel trying to run in the woods." Freaking hate that trope. Oh yeah, the the uh, obviously there are some moments. And you know, I like that. See, this 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 was the first kick. They're driving along, you know, despite the fact that these two like ostensibly smart characters can't seem to put together a fucking tent. But believe me, modern tents 
aren't that easy to put to put together. I get what what happened in that sequence, but we need the movie to carry on, so it's a trope. But anyway, driving down the road, and they see like the like the drugged out girl who's like, "Wait, stop! What's going on?" And the first thing is he looks at her. She didn't look right. She didn't look right. Thank you so much for being obvious. And they didn't open the door. It wasn't until the gun was in their face did that had did that take place. But obviously, I'd have been like, "Uh, no, keep driving, keep going." But the movie has to happen, you know. But nonetheless, I that's what I dug about this one is it was it's a schlocky little horror film that I thought works well for the story it's trying to tell, just as a creature feature. And kind of fun, you know, like looking at the way people, the way looking at the way these characters react to the situation, thinking about what would you do, you know, in a in a scenario you're trapped in this gas station in the middle of fucking nowhere, you know, nobody knows what's going on because the only officer on duty has been killed, and the manhunt for the bad guy that's with is going down down south, way way away from you, so nobody, no help is coming, and then of course there's a monster outside trying, you know, like trying to get you in, uh, trying to come at you, like you know, sensed by your body heat and shit. Like, what do you fucking do? Like, scrambling around, trying to trying to you know, like, cobble together resources in this you know, limited environment. I love how intelligent they got. And when they all start working together is really, really good. You know, yeah, and, just, see, you know, and, that's, and this is why, like, the biggest gripe I have about this film is the cinematography. Because I did not like the way it was shot. It was a lot of shaky cam. Um, I think it took away. Okay, I, I can see, I can see that. I can for, see that. like... In some of the, some of the facts, like we have the female sheriff, she goes and gets ripped in half, and it's like you have you you built this prosthetic body that looks really good that the art department and your special effects team have put so much time into crafting, only to have the camera do this, <laughs> and you're like, I'm like, wait, wait, what happened? I uh, what? I had to rewind it and go. Oh, I see her get ripped in half now because I couldn't see. I was like, if they just slowed the camera down, get some more cinematic movement into it, you can still get the franticness that they're looking for without automatically going through found footage shaky camera style. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, Annie, Annie asked, were there are there snacks in the gas station? There absolutely were snacks in the gas station. They make a big point of that as well. It's like, oh, I'm getting getting something to eat here. So they might make well. a point of that. <laughs> might as might as well in, in you know in the moment. And regular Jeff says, if only tents came with a sheet of paper with directions on how to assemble it, we could call them. Wait a second, instructions. I'm gonna make millions off this idea. That's true. That's true. You would because apparently <laughs> you know, well, it takes a monster to bring out the best in some people is the problem. Yeah, you know, I would say that, but. You know, that's why I dug this one, you know, and sh- Shadows of the Thing, Shadows of the Blob, um, a good little creature feature. And I wish, and I will agree with you on this, I wish they had a little bit more confidence in their practical effects to kind of show what was going on. I mean, they had the wherewithal to create this kind of, to create this body of this, uh, this the sheriff getting, getting eaten. There's moments there where you see after she's torn in half where she's not quite yet dead. And so the exposed areas of her are still kind of like trying to move. Because, you know, like the way her body's reacting and like what, like nerves going off and everything that were very, they're very intelligently done. I wish they'd had a little bit more of the shaking camera could have done without it kind of like was artificial for like an artificial frenetic energy, just kind of ramp up the stakes. But we didn't need it. Exactly. You don't need that. We've got a great monster that we actually want to see. We want to see more of that. We see, like, you know, when when, uh, when Charles Baker's, when uh, the gas station attendant, when his body is laid on the hood of the car and his fucking bones 
are like popping out of his body. And he's like, this is like, because of when the thing twists, you know, twists your limbs around in a direction and your bones just kind of like snap out of your freaking skin and shit. I want to see that shit happen. I want to see how he got into that condition. And I can't do it if you don't fucking stabilize your image. And, you know, set the thing on the fucking tripod. Put it on the goddamn tripod and fucking shoot that shit. Yeah, you okay? shoot. Like, you, you, I understand when you have some films that we've talked about, they have cheap monsters or they can't afford effects. So they have to either keep it in shadow and also, and even that done well, and even that done well could be uh, executed. But it's like, you obviously, you had the budget to do the makeup effects that you wanted to do. Show it. Especially looking at his arm, look at his yeah. arm and the and the amputation sequence, which was particularly gnarly. Because how are you going to pull off an amputation when you're sitting at a gas station? Like, really? Oh, they do it. They fucking do it. Yep. And it's not the way you want to, but they managed to do it. Yep. No, no, that that amputation sequence was fucking brutal. <laughs> it's like, no, oh, man. If you ever need do- to, <laughs> if you ever need to amputate something, I was watching an interview from the guy from 127 Hours because he had to cut his arm off with yeah, a pocket he- knife. <laughs> With a, rust, with, a, with a rusty with a uh, rusty like knife. a little swiss army knife <laughs> and they're interviewing him and he's like the biggest question i get is like how do you cut your arm off with a little tiny swiss army knife and he was his response was well you got to break the bone first so he had to <laughs> so he had to torque his arm in a way that he knew the bone would snap and they're like well what was the worst part of that and he goes the worst part of it is when i did it because you have the two bones in your forearm he said, right, when yeah. I did it, only one of them broke. Ah! <laughs> so he had to ramp himself up to get the other one because now he already <laughs> knew how much it hurt. Then the pocket knife can get through the flesh. Oh. So, so if you're ever in a situation you need to amputate something, just break the bone first and then cut around it. Yeah, the 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 one in this one, you know, it's like, oh, because because they're of the mind you know, to, to expose the bone first. You got to get through that and then snap it off like that. And it was kind of like, how the, I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't, even yeah. though this movie came out in like 2008, came out over 10 years ago, I got to tell you, man, they they go through and then how they managed to actually get his arm off is really fucking horrible. <laughs> it really is just awful. And he's like, you, you got to wonder, it's like, hey, did you uh, just pass the fuck out in that moment? But, you know, the, the dude was fucking hardcore. He was, I'll give him that. He was like, you just got to cut it off, man. Just cut it off. Ah. <laughs> All right, done, done. It's like, Take done, it. let's fucking do it. So, yeah, Sir Cabin says, when you can't afford a steady cam rig, shaky cam or tripod are the only two options. I would say, I, I, like I say, I agree. I wish they had the confidence in their monster. They had a fantastic monster. The stuff we got to see was great. And I loved the atmospheric idea. I love the idea of juxtaposing between the harsh fluorescence of the interior, the harsh fluorescence of the interior of the station, and, of course, the exterior where the pumps are, versus the kind of, like, the darkness at the edge of that light beyond there and i love that setup it's a very simplistic minimalistic setup that it, it just ostensibly you know pushes the the feeling of good versus evil or light versus darkness where this solid black entity you know that you you wouldn't see in the shadows is lurking out there and then once it comes to the light it's full it's full horror is revealed you know under the harsh fluorescence of your of your shooting location i thought that was brilliant unfortunately the yeah the yeah. just kind of like it detracts but the acting is solid enough. What we do get to see is good enough, and I enjoyed the narrative itself. It is, I think this is an underrated gem and one of the good magnet releases. So, definitely. Yeah, this was something. Honestly, I would like a like a reshoot. If someone if someone remade this, 
then I would be okay with it. I'm not okay with a lot of remakes, but something where you have a pretty decent story that just wasn't executed well because maybe limited funds because we talk, look at things like a Steadicam. Steadicam operators are very, very expensive. And it's not Steadicam rig itself. It's not something that you can watch a YouTube video. Like you, can, you can't buy one, watch a YouTube video and be like, cool, all right, I'm good. Like you could for some of the other like Dolly systems where they're really easy to operate. Steadicam operators, you have people that are specifically, that's their only job is they'll come in, they run Steadicam and they leave while the regular cam ops get everything else. And because it's so specialized and so few people can do it, they make a lot of money. They can demand a lot of money. So it could have been a budgetary thing in terms of maybe not getting a steady cam operator. Uh, I think it's. I think it's. It could be part budgetary, part creative choice. But even maybe instead of going full handheld, stabilize it a little bit. Right. You have to see what's going on. Instead of a instead of like a reshoot, instead of a remake, how about a prequel? Of the events that went down at the oil found at the oh at the oil company when the thing first got out when this monster first got out and then what went down which is why there's no warnings about this thing escaping because everyone there is dead and then that's how it escaped out via the animal and then got through the woods and then encountered what happened at the gas station oh no so I'm, I'm doing the 2011 thing pretty cool, right? I was gonna say the same thing so you want a 2011 thing that <laughs> yeah so so you have the events that took place at the gas station that ended in a giant explosion. You know, and then two people escape. What? And then you have the event that took place at the actual place where the where the monster originated from, which would be the nearby oil area, the the like the oil company where it was discovered and then escaped to get to the oh shit, it's it's the thing. <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm just throwing it out. I'm sorry. But nonetheless, I think that, that would be I think I think that would be an intriguing, an intriguing little remake. Sir Captain says, just to improve the cinematography, I think a remake could be a blockbuster, but everything else, unknown actors, same script, same shots. I think it could work. I and, think it could work too. Yep. Definitely. I think definitely. it could. Probably yeah, so probably like different cinematographer, a different DP and a different director. Yeah. That could work. But I want to ask the audience, what do you consider? Is the scariest parasitic horror film? Ooh, parasite horror. Parasite horror. I mean, there yeah. there's some good ones. Um, I mean, I feel like I, I think the the thing is kind of an obvious answer. The thing is a good one. Yeah, I think yeah, it's an obvious I mean, answer. That, that's an obvious answer. Um, but as far as like parasitic, because the thing is the, the you can say the thing, but the thing is not really because it takes over a toast. Yeah, because so it really, assimilates. Because yeah. Really, yeah, it assimilates that. Whereas in, of course, Splinter, it was actually like feeding off of its feeding off the host, um, and trying to find more biomass to feed off of. Um, Operation Free World brings up Slither. Slither was, uh, I think, a good one. Slither was, Slither was good. Slither was good. I, I, I'm actually, I'm going to say uh, the scariest. I'm going to have to say Leviathan. Mm. Wait, wait. Because, I don't think I've seen Leviathan. Oh no, is it? It was a Leviathan. Yeah, Leviathan. Because Deep Star Six was the giant, was the giant, like you know, crustacean thing. I'm going to say Leviathan because with with Peter Weller, you know, remember that at the very end, he pops out of the water. Ah, and he like you know like two points the fucking he like you know he lays up the fucking like grenade into the thing's mouth and it explodes and shit. It was like running around. It was absorbing people into it. It was like latching into people and, and you know, taking their DNA and like absorbing their DNA and turning into a new monster. 
You know, because we've talked about it on the podcast before. Because I remember it's just it, maybe it's just yeah, I think we talked about it real early on. Because it, it does sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, because they had the, the awesome scene at the end where fucking like Peter Weller is just like, ha, he takes a grenade, he's like Two points, and he just puts it right <laughs> in its fucking mouth. It's just fucking great. He's like, "Smile, motherfucker!" Boom, and he just two points in, drained. Ah, it was fucking hilarious. Uh, but I, I think Leviathan is probably my favorite. Is 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 probably the scariest one because it had that moment where it had that like unsuspecting moment. Where they're kind of like copying Alien, and they're all in like, like the dining area, and one of the guys like opens this like shelf thing. And like this lamprey fucking thing like comes out and like blah and like attaches into him, starts burrowing into his abdomen and shit. And he's like, oh, help me, help me. You know, it's like, and then it infects people. It takes over their bodies and shit. You know, like it, uh, I just, it was fucking gross. That one always kind of stuck with me. Just like this, blah, this like this like lamprey leech looking fucking thing. It's like, blah, like it was so gross. <coughs> um, let me see. Uh, Shiver, Tony Regime says Shivers was fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Wrote no, no, the same said brain damage. Good. Yeah. Oh, Raymond Dark says Leviathan was good. Excellent. Strange Lex Seven Nights says would invasion of the body snatchers count? Parasitic? Parasitic horror? Huh. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll say borderline. Borderline? I'd say borderline. Yeah, yeah I can agree with they, that. More, they will more replace people than. Right. Yeah. The puppet like... masters as well. Yeah. Uh, I throw one out there. Uh, the faculty. That's oh a, that was, yes, that was, that was a parasite. Film. Yes, yeah. They just, they just require a host in order to survive. And they, you know, they, that would I would say the faculty is a good one as well. Travis Brown did the ruins from which also came out two thousand eight. The ruins was good. The ruins was good. The ruins is one of those exceptions for that time period. Exception to the rule. Okay. Yeah. And of course, uh, thank you, Angel Rivera, Night of the Creeps. <laughs> oh, yes night of the creeps absolutely oh and uh lifting agenda bring up brought up hidden as well excellent sir cab says explain the creature would be a mistake the what the fuck factor would be lost absolutely agreed agreed, agreed. all right so let's move on to our last film of the night a fucking amazing movie well i would say it's, it's yeah but it, this is a good this is a good movie i thoroughly enjoyed this one. Oh yes tony regimes brings up parasite with fucking demi with demi moore because oh, we talked yeah. about that one on the show before as well. Parasite as well. Um, so, yes. Uh, this next film, last one we're going to talk about tonight, released November 1st, 1996. So you don't get your mid-2000s. <laughs> so, November 1st, 1996, we have the Werewolf Horror Bad Moon. Let's check out this trailer. Cue up the terror tube. Oh, I fucking love that, the trailer. And you're right, because this is the day after Halloween when it released. Uh, very, very smart. So we have... The movie Bad Moon, uh, Bad Moon, which uh, was a Canadian-American horror film direct, written and directed by Eric Red, and uh, starring Mariel Hemingway, Michael Perret, just you know, infinite fucking just, you know, B-movie actor Michael Perret, I fucking love him, and Mason Gamble, Ken Pogue, and Hrothgar Matthews. Uh, so the film, oh, and by the way, I'm going to say it because I love it, Primo as Thor, the German Shepherd. So his actual name was Primo, because I want to give that dog credit. Because that dog was awesome. So the movie follows a uh, a single mom and her son who are kind of living out there, you know, living on their own, kind of a remote area. And uh, her brother comes to visit, and unknowns, unbeknownst to her, because it's established at the beginning of the film, her brother is a fucking werewolf. And in an attempt to try and cure his lycanthropy, he believes that like, the power of love and family and friendship will be able to cure that. But uh, he's really, really fucking wrong. And so chaos ensues as Thor, the family dog, knows that something is seriously, seriously up and eventually comes to a titanic conclusion. So, but, uh, okay. I see that I've seen in the live chat 
There's some, like, you know, <laughs> the people have some problems with this one. Oh, Sir Cavs says, now we hear the Turd Polisher 9000 firing up. Bad Moon sucked. The best actor that also had the most screen time was the fucking German Shepherd. <laughs> I'm saying Thor stole the show. Thor did steal the show, but he that's did. the point. That's the point of the movie. The, that's the point of the movie. I don't care what the fucking critics said when this movie came out, because obviously it got, it, you know, the critics kind of, you know, dumped on it as well. This thing has all the things that work. Number one, <clears throat> it, yes, he, yes, Joshua Lee, no matter the actor, Primo won the Good Boy Award because he was a good boy. He was a good okay? boy. <laughs> this movie had everything going on. I don't care what anybody says, and I know you're going to give your feedback. Number one, had a badass dog in it. That dog was amazing. Two, it pulled my heartstrings because the scene when they're taking Thor away, you know, and the dog is trying to get back and it's like, ah, and he's like, ha ha, you know, I got rid of the dog and shit. And it's like, those moments right there, that pulled my heartstrings. That got me, you know, just the dog, you know, cause I'm a dog lover. Okay. I think everybody, you know, we're all dog lovers. That just, that just, it just got me. The, the werewolf effects, an excellent classic monster, you know, not as good as say like the howling effects as far as, as far as a werewolf yeah. goes, but as far as, Number one, in kind of like shadowed, the the I will I will admit that the the werewolf itself didn't look ultra fantastic in like direct light, like when it's in the big climax in the bat in the bedroom, but I didn't give a shit because Thor was whooping ass and taking names and that fucking I love that fight you know, between the two of them. It's a great final way to end the movie. And so we got a classic monster, we got pulling your heartstrings, we got an excellent fucking dog actor, and a great fucking, you know, you know, great fucking environment shooting out there in the woods. Everything I think works so extremely well. Number one, the film is not shying away from a horror film. It opens up with the two with you know with people getting ripped the fuck apart, you know, by this werewolf in the you know, in the jungle. Werewolf comes out and just like you know shreds this. Uh, and that when that girl went at the beginning, when you open your movie like that, that's how you open a horror film. Just picks that chick up and like, wah, rip her, just rip her. Like, I was like, holy shit, man! The movie pulls no punches, which is why I've always liked this movie. It opens strong continues a good narrative you realize this guy's a fucking bad guy he's ripping people apart leaving their pieces all over the place and then of course you bring in thor the protective dog who kicks fucking ass god i love this movie i love that the fight between the german shepherd and the werewolf just is fucking amazing you can't you can't convince me well shot well acted great characters good good practical effects come on what is what is not to love about this fucking movie so that's it. So the thing about this movie is <laughs> don't is, sugarcoat it. <laughs> it's like I only cared about the dog. That was that was the only thing I didn't care about the rest of the characters. And you're right, where they when they took Thor away, and I was like, Oh, what are you gonna do? And then you have, of course, then you have the kid who like climbs the fence and Fuck then, yeah, he's Dennis the Menace. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Dennis the Menace hey, gonna come <laughs> You have a huge spotlight on him, and they're like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure, why not? And so so in terms of cinematography wise. It's not bad, but it's not good. It's kind of just run of the mill on top, especially for like a 95, 96 uh, type of feel to it. Like I said, so it's just kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, nothing really stands out about it. The effects of it were good, especially like I said, the scene in the very beginning where you have the girl gets like straight up thrown to the ground and then the werewolf's head blown off. Right. Like all this stuff, all this stuff looks like fantastic. You're right, towards the very end, the effects. 
weren't as good once you have the open open climax. Um, but and yeah, I'll, and, and, I'll, and I'll and I'll give you, I'll give you this as well. The one one key of werewolf films always the transformation sequence. The tra- transformation sequence is always really really important in order to, to convey what's going on. American Werewolf in London, you know, oh, yeah. uh, virtually everything out there. You know, the transformation sequence is important. The start of the transformation sequence was was good in this one. Very very Lon Chaney. Very very kind of classic. Like ah, oh, he turns and he looks and he's like ah, oh, he's wolf like. But then the CGI blah, that it was kind of it, it, was just, it lost like, me. It lost he, me there. They could have done better than that, but eventually it becomes like you know it becomes the werewolf, and then it's like okay, now we got a werewolf. This is now. I'll forgive that for this badass looking werewolf and the fact that we're gonna have a dog fight. So I fucking love it. And and yeah, and but like because Thor steals a show, and I'm like, mm-hmm. man, if you take Thor out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. That's that's what I think it is. That the whole thing is set up because it is that Thor is the star of the show. That that that's the whole point. It's like the whole it, it's kind of like cat's eye. You know, the center, like, despite the fact we have great, you know, we have good performance all over the place, predominantly the story is about the cat. The cat mm-hmm. leading up to the, to the, you know, the basically the throwdown in the bedroom with the goblin at the end of that movie. So this is kind of the same thing where, they, where the cat's going through these adventures and winds up in this one. Here, Thor is the protector of the house, and he's going to, you know, he's going to do it. He's going to protect the, protect the family in the face of this encroaching evil. So, which I dug. There's a lot of, you know, it's a similar story. We've heard it before, but I just loved this one. Not to mention... They didn't skimp on the dog, the you know, like the. Uh, there was one sequence where obviously the dog was fake, you know, but you didn't see a lot of it. And that was when the dog was on his back and it was like doing that thing because you can't just put a dog up there. Yeah, yeah, that, that was not going to work well. But the sequence when the dog is like, ha, like gets up and like hauls off and just hauls it, just jumps at his ass, that was real. So I love the, 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 the willingness. Yeah, they didn't put the dog in danger. The dog was never, you know, in harm's way. And they allowed the dog. And, and to be honest, what you know dogs, you could tell the dog is having a fucking blast while he's doing this. Because the werewolf's like, ah, the dog's like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> I fucking love that. It's like, that dog is having fun. Because I own German Shepherds myself. And I know when they're, when they're playing and they're having fun. And the dog's like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. And the dog would jump at you. This is fucking great. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're good moments like when uh, the werewolf's up against the window and the dog jumps. And the dog and, like, like, <laughs> like hit that, that fucker like a rocket just out the window. It was great. And then you don't even need to see it. He's all fucked up in the woods. He's like, oh, I'm so fucked up right now. And then the dog's like, yeah, I am too, bitch. It's like, oh, shit. Just go ahead and do it. Wham! <laughs> and it's over. We don't need to see it. We just know. It's kind of like, I got, I, I, I it reminded me of because this is 1990, so this is 96 when it came out. So I was 16 when this thing dropped. But I got like, you know, it was it, it was reminiscent, or I remembered um the remake of Hills Have Eyes. Because one of the key, one of the key awesome moments in Hills Have Eyes were those two dogs they had. And while one of the dogs, the female dog, the the female German Shepherd was killed, the male was not. And the male is ex-canine. So, like, the, it was a former canine uh, canine officer. And so the dog, that's a well-trained shepherd. Not to mention the, the father himself was, was an ex-cop. And so when the dog gets his time to shine, and all of a sudden these mutants are like, oh, kill the interlopers. But then the, sh- the shepherd shows up and is like, oh, shit. <laughs> and the fucking dog is ripping the shit out of him. I fucking love that because sometimes there's a reason why in True Lies, 
you know, when they're when they're scoping out the bad guys, you know, and Tom Arnold is in the band. It's like, oh, well, it looks like you got your, your uh, you got your fur coated razor blades and a bunch of guys with guns. It was like there's a reason he called them that the German Shepherds as because of fuck your shit up. You know, and I love it when the dog is the hero. The dog kicks ass. Yeah, you know? and people underestimate the speed and strength of dogs. I got the uh, so when I was in the military, I got a chance to put on the giant the giant red suit that they use to train uh, dogs. And they're like, so I put on like the red suit, and they're like, okay, well the dogs uh. are like chase after <laughs> you and do all this other kind of stuff. And they're like, okay, so we want you to take off running. So I take off running. And I'm like about 30 yards away, and he's still holding the dog. And he's like, "No, no, no I'll, I'll let you know. Just keep running." He's gonna like, be on you like he's gonna be on you like running. flies on shit, man. I get probably about a hundred yards away because we're just in this field, about a hundred yards away. So you think about the length of a football field. <laughs> and he gives his verbal cue, and I, I shit you not, this is how fast it was. He goes. Releasing, boom! I'm down. Like, it was that quick. Like you are not, you're not going to outrun a dog. And I didn't play fall down. The dog hit me with enough force that it knocked me off of my feet. Because you have something moving, moving that fast, hitting you. So the dogs are dogs are nothing to. I, fighting a person, I'll fight somebody bigger than me. I'll fight an NFL player. I'll do anything like that. When it comes to fighting a dog, that's a whole, <laughs> whole different thing. It's a whole, it's a whole other animal. Yeah, because dogs only have one mode. Oh, it's come on, all man. Out- <laughs> no, like somebody can like fight and box or whatever, but dogs, they're either not going to harm you or they're going to try to rip your throat, and there's no in-between. Right. That, that's what I dug about this one. I think this one I dig so much because it hits me on an emotional level because I, you, I connect I connect so much with the with dog. Obviously, cat lovers or people who don't like dogs probably won't connect to this film as much, but there are sequences in this where the dog is... We, you know, things that I see that happen in reality. You know, like when we all go to bed here at the, here at the house, my dog, my German Shepherd, uh, Oso, will do the rounds and check on everybody. He'll do the rounds around the house, Check out the rooms, check us out, make sure everything's okay. Go check out the doors. And he'll kind of like post up and be like, all right, well, we're just chilling here until eventually he comes back into you, comes back and lays down in his bed. So that stuff, you know, the dog, they do this. You know, they're naturally like, especially German Shepherds, natural protectors. And so I love the personality there that Thor had his own personality and that personality was put on display and that it recognizes these things. And not to mention, I will say this. The sequence when Thor is like running back to the house, he's running down the street and doing that thing. That was not how fast German Shepherds run. That was movie run. I'm movie yeah. running. I've seen my before he passed away. My my previous German Shepherd Jingles. I saw that dog run like really run one time in the in, in the seven years we had him. I saw him that dog run once, and I had no clue how fast he could be. Unless he wanted to be, and he we were down like down the street, and we were like, because what happens? He got out, and whenever he got out of the house, he was like, "Yeah, it's playtime. I'm run around and you know, come oh, of course, you try to get and try to get back in. Like, he thinks like, we're playing. Come here, come here, come here, dog. And he's like, "Oh, we're playing. This is great." So we get down the fucking street, and we're like, you know, ten houses down, and it was like, "Come on!" So finally, I get close to him, and then Angela comes outside because he was a giant fucking mama's boy. She's like, "Jingles, come here!" And he turned, and that dog was gone. Like a, I mean, I'm talking. I and I just saw him go from standing. He looked, and was just he vanished. And he just he was gone. so fucking fast. And I was like, holy shit! I've never seen a dog move like that. 
which is why I loved how they went with this. So fucking fantastic. Uh, Left-handed Jedi brings up Howl, the British train film. Yeah, that, that was also a werewolf film. That the werewolf besieging a bunch of kids or a bunch of people in the in the train. Uh, oh, sorry, that was another one. But uh, the werewolf besieging the train, or it was werewolves. There were multiple in that. So. Tony Regime says the fastest German Shepherd I saw was a cross with a Greyhound. That that thing could shift like a drag racer. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> like zero sixty. Like, yeah, yeah. People people underestimate how fast and how powerful dogs can be. Right. That's the thing that got me. I, I think it's the emotional equivalent, the, the emotional connection I had to the film, which is what which is what elevates this thing so much. Obviously, the critics who watched it were not dog lovers, but if you want to see a badass fucking movie where, where the German Shepherd takes on a werewolf and kicks the living shit out of it, because that werewolf is like, <laughs> what the fuck? This is fucked up. I'm used to things that don't fight me or can't fight. No, the dog is the dog is eating to to quote Richard Pryor, the dog is eating my asshole. So it, it, you know. <laughs> and it was fucking him up. Uh, Sir Chasm, thank you so much for the super chat. For 569 says, compare the werewolf with any other werewolf film. Come on, I double dare you. Even the miserable Silver Bullet was more convincing. Uh, killing me. But yes, Silver Bullet was also good as well. It was also good. So, so, so like Silver Bullet was good. I know uh, Travis Brown mentioned, oh, they didn't learn from CGI from uh, American Werewolf in Paris. I don't think American Werewolf in Paris came out yet. It hadn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah that, was was like those, that was one of those. Like that was one of those. Yeah, that was one of those at the turn where you know people were remakes were being were being made. But but yeah, but yeah, this they, they didn't learn from this one where the CGI transformation <clears throat> cannot work. If you're going to do a werewolf film, the transformation must be practical. And as um oh son of a bitch, uh the you know as uh, Landis indicated that in American Werewolf in London, the hardest part of that movie. The most expensive part of that movie was the transformation sequence, was the setup and the practical effects for the transformation, all the extending limbs, all the pain, the face, everything. All that was the most expensive. And uh, same with the Roma Santa, Werewolf Hunter. That practical where it was all where, where it was kind of like the amniotic sack and then like the creature like turning back into a human in the thing. Like it was kind of like, oh, like a reverse birth. That was extremely expensive. It's got to you, the money's got to be in the transformation because that's what we want to see. You look at the howling. Okay. Yep. The reason the howling is fantastic because that that fucking transformation, Robert Picardo. Yes, you have the doctor from Voyager, but Robert Picardo doing the whole like blah, the face coming out and the ears coming out like that. That was gnarly as shit. But you got to be willing to put the money in. As regular Jeff says, most expensive and well worth it. That's what we're exactly. expecting to see. You you have to get the transformation. You have to get the yeah. transformation correct. And so with this movie, we're not saying it is the most convincing werewolf. There are definitely better werewolf. Even at the time this film came out, there were better werewolf movies. Oh yeah, yeah. And then by and there's more there's more convincing werewolves out there. Um, but yeah, I just you want to see a werewolf fight a dog? This is the movie. <laughs> All right, so the thing, uh, yeah, fuck what the critics say when it comes to it. Thank you so much, Operation Free World, for gifting five memberships to the Army of the Dead. We do appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. you. Very generous. Thank you so much. Y'all enjoy those new looks. We got Greg Jonick, um, Jason Hyatt, Terry, Pippi Glue, and Colin are all new members of the Army of the Dead. Please enjoy all of those amazing emojis I made for you. All right, so the question that I want to ask, and this is really, really simple. Because and it may come down to whether or not you're a cat lover or a dog lover. I I don't know, but the critics really hated this movie. Like really hated this fucking movie. I fucking love this movie. I enjoy. I, it. I'm I, kind of, I'm I'm in the middle about it. Of course, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no, no. I know. I, I kid. If, if if you hate a movie, I know you'll hate a movie. I know you will hate you, a movie. You'll you'll know. You'll know. Oh, you'll yeah. know. You absolutely will know. This you'll definitely you'll the critic that shit hated it. Yeah, you pretty much. I know you'll do it. It stinks. I know you'll you'll absolutely pull it off. But the thing I want to ask, and this is really really simple, because considering kind of the other stuff that you know, the other questions tonight require a little bit of effort, maybe a little bit of research. This one's really really simple. Let us know in the comments below. Bad Moon, the werewolf film, 1996. Thumbs up or thumbs down? That's all I want to know. Give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down for the movie Bad Moon. I just want to know how many people loved it, how many people hated it. Uh, I fear I may be very alone. In, <laughs> I feel I may be very alone in my loving this movie. But uh, definitely let us know in the comments below. Thumbs up, thumbs down if you uh, loved or hated uh, Bad Moon. Sideway thumb. Sideway yeah. thumb if, you, if you're in the middle. Denova28 gives me a thumbs up. I'm not alone on this island of love. I'm not alone on it. So thank you so much, Denova28. Travis Brown then canceled it out with five thumbs down. So, ouch. But Strange Lex gives me a thumbs up. Awesome. Tesla Radio is undecided. And Sarcasm says, way, way down. Way <laughs> down. <laughs> I think it's like office space. Way down. <laughs> <laughs> left-handed jedi is a thumbs up fantastic thank you so much appreciate that but definitely let us know in the comments below want to hear what you guys think all right well eugene it's that time of the night it's that time of the night that raven darkstar loves so much and that we love so much here what time is it it's trivia time <laughs> oh that's for you raven uh, who said mute button on but i think you missed it i think you were too slow too slow <laughs> but yes it is trivia time so as usual the first person to get the correct answer to this trivia question uh, in the live chat which i have up right now will get a special item from the weekend horror store from the season five line unfortunately there have been some delays. I got an email from uh, I got an email from fucking uh, Teespring saying that there are they're suffering some delays right now in production. Hopefully, the people who have won previously this month have got will get there soon. I'm a little annoyed about that, but you will get something as well from the season five line of the Weekend Horror Store over at Teespring. I'm really kind of annoyed at them right now, but be the first one in the chat to get it. Eugene, what is our trivia question tonight? Hopefully, this will not be solved in or answered in like two seconds. So. You had to come up with a tongue twister for this one. I didn't know, you? right? Is I, I gotta really really think about it. So all right. We're gonna see if we can make it through this one. All right. The trivia question is the first historical report of the Wendigo, which came from a French Jesuit missionary living among the Quebec Al Algonquin. Algonquin people was written in what year? So say the year. What year? The first historical report of the Wendigo, which came from a French Jesuit missionary living among the Quebec Alcoin, Al, Algonquin. Algonquin people, who came from the Quebec Algonquin people, was written in what year? And we have He's already an got it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he knew that immediately. Operation Free World. You are correct. I think he got it on the first one. Is was 1636. 
Congratulations, Operation Free World. Let me get your name down. And Operation Free World, if I do not have your shipping details, be sure to get them to me at weekendhorror@gmail.com, or you can message me directly via Discord. Um, just let me know what your shipping details are so we can make sure that we have those so we can print this out and get it to you. Um, Operation Free World, we got you down. Fantastic. But yes, the very first account, the very first historical account that was written down about the Wendigo came from this French Jesuit missionary who had been living for a time amongst the uh, the Algonquin people up in Quebec. And that story is where the uh, the Wendigo myth uh, disseminated from, how that became known to everybody else. But yeah, 1636 was that answer. We got a bunch of other ones. Uh, Tony just said 1748, 1768. Casey Cooper also said 1636. That was close. Um, they were the only, oh, and Sir Cas 1636 as well. Regular Jeff said, El, yeah, Algonquin for the good land. Algonquin. Al Alice Cooper. There you go. Yeah, because yeah. it was Wayne's World. Yeah. Oh, I remember the, the yeah, Wayne's World reference. <laughs> Operation Free World says all the cryptid research pays off. Yes, it does. Yes, it nice. does. <laughs> Sorry, I got to lift my beer. That's right. <laughs> I got that when I went to Point Pleasant to visit the Mothman Museum. So, but yeah, I, I had to get a couple of Mothman shirts. I had to. I was down there, you know, took the, yeah, yeah. saw the statue and everything. So, congratulations, Operation Free World. That was fast. Well done. Yes, left-handed Jedi says, dang, way to go. That was really, really quick. So congratulations. Get us your shipping details so we can get that printed out and shipped to you ASAP. So well done. Congratulations. And um, did I mention? Yes, Operation Free Will gifted five we can, uh, five memberships to the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much for that. As well as NANA who gifted another membership to the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, NANA. You guys are so generous. We do appreciate that very, very much. Left-handed Jedi said, Lovecraft turned the Wendigo into an old one. Oh, intriguing. Yeah, intriguing. Oh, and Operation Free, Free World says, you, JL Eugene, if you have not watched Hellier, I have watched Hellier. I saw that I come up a number it. of times. Yes. Uh, but definitely check that out if you get an opportunity. So well done, well done. And that horror fiends is going to conclude another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. I want to thank you all so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please smash that like and subscribe button and be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. And we hope you all have an absolutely amazing and creepy and spooky Halloween. Join us next week when we look back at the completely mental British slasher Frightmare, the deeply unsettling Father of Flies, the stellar sequel Child's Play 2, and the Christopher Walken sci-fi alien horror Communion. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at BadSamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork. You see splattered all over our merchandise, which you can find over at Teespring. If they're not fucking delaying the shipping. For more from Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links down in the description. You can follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. We have a premiere coming up soon. And support the show through channel memberships, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank each and every single one of you for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could possibly have. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. We will see each and every one of you next week. And as always, stay scared.